everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 434. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, we got a pretty loaded show this week. We got a guest we'll have later on in the show. We'll talk about that then. But uh, first off, uh, how was uh, your weekend? It was fine. Or week, week so far, now that we're midway through the week, just about. Yeah. Um. Don't want to actually waste too much time because we got a lot to fit in. And also, before that, though, we actually need to talk about our new Patreon show. Yeah, patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. The show for the month of November is up as we discuss the One Warrior Nation. Yes, Ultimate Warriors run in WCW in 1998, which only lasted two months, basically. <laughs> well, maybe a little over two months. But what a two months it was. Some of the worst angles you could ask for in the, of that era. Uh, terrible television. Terrible promos. Terrible characters. Uh, just a total debacle. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's, it's, you know, you can't use that phrase, a total debacle, without me thinking of Vince in WrestleMania, the arcade game. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Every, just about everything that could go wrong did go wrong with that. And we talk about all that from his debut, which was probably the best part of his whole run, to the disciple joining the One Warrior Nation, to Hogan seeing him in the mirror, to the trapdoor and its many casualties, injuring wrestlers, um, Renegade actually being the fake warrior. Uh, one time, Howie Havoc, of course, and the insanity of that match, including one of the worst attempts at a fireball ever. And then the fact that he uh, was on TV after that, which is something that people probably forget about because they normally think that the Havoc was the end of him. But no, he was brought back, and the way it looked at the time... There may have, there might have been a rubber match until the buy rate came in, so we'll talk about that. Well, buy rate and also Jesse uh, becoming governor. Jesse becoming governor as well. So a lot on this show, a lot of fun, a lot of uh, you know clips. Probably the most clips we've ever done on the Patreon show. So yeah, definitely well worth the five dollars a month, which gives you access to this show and all the other shows that we've done. And our seven full years of the Patreon, as we're on year eight now, and you definitely want to be uh, be a part of the Patreon because next month on Patreon.com/slash Trina Sheets, and your five dollars will cover that if you put it down. We look at the Von Erics, yes, Carrie and Kevin Von Erich mainly, as uh, we look at them uh, basically in the nineties. You know, and look at the stuff that was going on, um, the r- various interviews that they gave at the time, and a lot of other stuff that was going on then. As uh, we talk about the Von Erichs and, and uh, the end of the Von Erich dynasty, basically, as I, the movie The Iron Claw is going to be coming out in the theaters around Christmas time. So, yeah, definitely a timely show and should be a, a very, very interesting show because we'll talk about stuff that we really haven't been able to talk about before on the main show because of the you know 
the topic itself and just all the stuff going on. And yes, we'll be delving into Carrie Von Erich's wrestling flyer interview, which is uh, definitely one for the ages. So, uh, yeah, for those who don't know, it's like not only is it the only like insider interview he ever gave, but it was also when he was fresh out of rehab. Yeah. With John Clark, uh, Philadelphia news legend. So, yes. It's going to be great. So can't wait to uh, get that show done. But yes, One Warrior Nation, folks. Definitely want to uh, listen to that. And all the other shows that we've done, patreon.com slash 20 sheets, $5 a month. Gets you access to all that. So on that note, let's get started as, uh, yes, we have a loaded show here. As we go back to the year 2004, covering the week that was November 29th through December the 5th. And we begin with total nonstop action. And that means Brian Alvarez. This company's falling apart. Morale's as low as ever among the undercarders, especially those making jack shit and watching guys like Randy Savage do absolutely nothing in return for the exorbitant amounts of money. The reason Brian mentioned Savage is that besides the appearance fee, he's demanded a bunch of other things, including something like $1,000 each for each of his two bodyguards that come with him. Those being Brian Adams and Don Harris. Oh, I guess they don't have a one-drop rule for Jews if they pay them. And how about it's just Don and not Ron? Well, isn't there a lot of stuff in this era that's just Don for some reason? Yeah. Like, was Ron out of wrestling? Oh, by the the way, I know you still, or at least at last word, get along with him. Fuck David Penzer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, you didn't see that? Yeah, well. We'll talk about no it later. What you, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's he he called I, me an anti-Semite on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lumo <laughs> Service 2 in from the events and no Jimmy Hart. Yes, he's so paranoid about Hulk Hogan that he doesn't want Hogan's longtime confidant Jimmy Hart anywhere near him or even near the gorilla position when he's in the ring. Being an old wrestler is sad, especially an old wrestler who wants to be a star with a young wrestler 2004. There were rumors that Savage was carrying a knife around with him, but which shot people. Not sure why, as he used to carry a gun. About three weeks ago, Brian wrote the following, with absolutely no inside information to back it up. I truly believe this is the beginning of the end. With the recent debuts of big money talent like Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Randy Savage, DDP, plus toss of Hulk Hogan, it looks to me like Panda Energy is going to give this a shot with every big free agent they can sign, and if it doesn't work out, that's the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though realistically it would take years of quality programming to get a new wrestling promotion off the ground and profitable, not to mention countless millions, the support of a good network and all the luck in the world. My feelings that Panda has something means that this thing is growing impatient. Worse, this past week was straight out of WCW back in the dying days. Well, the big rumor going around this past week or so is that this is indeed a fact. And that Jerry Jarrett has been told he has 90 days to find a new buyer or it's over. Most sources indicate this timeline's accurate. And other sources are backing up Paul Heyman's statement from a few weeks back on Bite This that Panda has already sunk $15 million into this venture over the last year and a half. How about Paul Heyman doing that on WWE's Bite This? Well, wait, is this the era where WWE.com has the industry news section? I think, uh, no, I think that's later. Okay. With most companies, a 90-day deadline such as this one must certainly be a death sentence. But Brian has also taken the heart what Heyman said about Jerry Jarrett being the smartest businessman of all time. He's got a valid point when you consider that it would take a businessman of epic means to convince an energy company to basically burn through $15 million in a year and a half and virtually nothing to show for it. 
And as incredible as this sounds, Jared has allegedly already lined up at least two potential buyers. It is imperative that I find out who these buyers are, Brian said, because if the time should ever come that I want to fleece some rube out of some mega cash, these are the people I shall target. I sure hope a lot of the wrestlers here are contemplating what they shall do with their lives at the wrestling, and not spending all their time worrying about whether or not they're going to get an entrance or own impact this week. I'm not to put myself over as a seersayer or anything, which is actually my long-term life goal, to slowly gain wisdom until I'm pronounced a seer, at which point I will retire in seclusion to the mountains, grow up my hair and beard, and write wild, rambling essays about everything under the sun, until finally, in the end, after spending my final days in the horrible grip of insanity, I will die, and afterwards my writing, unappreciated during my lifetime, will be hailed as genius and survive into perpetuity but a month and a half ago. Oh, excuse me. That's that's the end. <laughs> end of his ramble but a month and a half ago i wrote the company announced the names and locations for december and january period events december 5th will be called turning point and january 16th be called final resolution first if i was running the company whose future was so tenuous that it could end in one day if i'd actual backers pulled out i would never under any circumstances call a pay-per-view final resolution or book the outsiders on a pay-per-view called turning point as coincidence would have it, the 90 days are up around the time of final resolution. A lot of the wrestlers are also seers, as many figured that uh, as soon as Dixie Carter had her baby, it was all over for this project. Well, speaking of, Dixie called a meeting before the preview and said no matter what anyone read in the dirt sheets, the company was doing just fine financially and not going out of business anytime soon. Okay, when you're down 15 million, as soon as you come out and say everything's fine financially, right there you're setting yourself up to have no, I believe, a word you say from that point forward. She said 2005 was going to be a big year for TNA. It will, no doubt. Just whether it'll be a huge year in a good way or bad way is yet to be determined. And that they signed a bunch of big sponsorship deals. She knew that she was very pregnant and wouldn't be around for a while after she gave birth. But she noted nobody's reading anything to, into that except that she's just given birth and wanted to take care of her child. <laughs> <laughs> 15 million, I mean, if they lost $15 million in a year and a half. Which, I don't know why they're saying a year and a half, because Panda's owned the company for over two years. Yeah, but, I mean, either or. I mean, that... Maybe there was a ramp up a year and a half before? I don't know. I mean, that's a huge chunk of money. Yes. And you can see where there would be some people that would be pretty upset about that. On the other hand... What if you want to keep your failed daughter away from your billion-dollar energy empire? There's that, too. So, basically, we'll keep this thing going so my daughter can have something to do. And in time, you know, we eventually figured out what it would look like if uh, Panda was getting ready to pull out. But it took a dozen years. And as we read this, Dixie Carter was a backstage at Monday Night Raw in Nashville. Yes. <laughs> Some 19 years later. As a special guest of Bruce Pritchard, the man who she almost got in trouble with the IRS by not paying the withholding they took out of his checks. <laughs> yeah, wrestling. Jerry Jerry and Bob Carter met in Nashville this past week. This is Dave now. With Jarrett trying to propose a new budget that would greatly cut back on costs in order to convince Carter to stay in for the long haul. The company was happy with how the pay-per-view did, which is a positive. They're claiming they have confirmed agreements for $3 million in ad sales 2005, 
which of other cutbacks could see the company break even at 45,000 to 50,000 baby buys per month. Well, that's still going to be a very difficult figure for them to average monthly. Which it was difficult but for them th- to average monthly. Yeah, but with a $3 million figure, it sounds suspiciously unrealistic. Like the ad revenue companies like World Class, Crockett, and Watts expect to be able to sell given their ratings, but later found out they were that because they were wrestling, they couldn't get ad buyers to pay the rates their ratings would seem to deserve. And them getting deep in debt because they were spending that revenue. Wait, wait, wait. world class? What? At what other point has he ever told that story about world class? Well, I mean, they were part of that whole. Uh, what was it? Ad network they were with. Okay, so well, no, the whole TWN Plus thing was after selling to Jared, where they used Action Media Group to sell ads, which was the same ad-selling company that WCW used, and WCW at the time was still packaged as the Wrestling Network, and Action Media also offered a TWN Plus package that also included USWA, which is why the USWA syndicated shows in that era had so many ads that overlapped with WCW. But, I mean... But they were... I mean... Oh, okay, you know what this probably has to do with, actually? Because it's around the same time as the Crockett stuff going on. It's probably... It's probably something pertaining to when Fritz dumps uh, KXTX, you know, CBN, and goes with Bum Bright. Because, at least if we believe Gary Hart, under the deal with KXTX, Fritz didn't have to pay production or anything like that. KXTX took care of that, but Fritz was getting, like, the lion's share of the ad revenue and whatnot. So, maybe somehow, even though he wasn't paying for the production, Fritz thought if he did it on his own, so I don't know. I I don't understand how World Class fits into that, though, because they'd been syndicated all over the place for years before that boy. Well, anyway, as we move forward... Um, most of the KTV shows really can't make big money in ad sales, so they hit the 2.0 rating mark. ECW, they made one-fifth of that ad sales, and they had far stronger syndication and roughly five times the cable range of TNA. WWE managed to do $40 million in ad sales this year. TNA's ad sales up to this point have been negligible. While they don't get to sell SmackDown because of the UPN contract, that's still raw. Velocity, experience, heat, and syndication which combined to 6.14 ratings points last week, not including syndication. I mean, that was a better than usual week, but a 5.2 plus whatever syndication brings the low in average. TNA right now averages about a 0.18 plus whatever explosion brings in, probably next to nothing, or maybe 30 times lower, plus WWE's a marquee name brand, and TNA's unproven. While TNA won't be getting the 8 p.m. Monday night Best Dance Sports Show period weekly tie-in show they were hoping for, since ratings didn't come in as they needed, they are talking with Fox Sport Net about doing some primetime specials on the show. Even with the exposure coming out of the first show, the buy rate appears to be well down for the second show. And that's what a good first Sunday pay-per-view. The January show will be interesting because you really can't expect to ever have a better pay-per-view show than they did this past weekend. If buys don't increase, then good quality pay-per-view shows can't save the company by itself. Among the things being talked about now is a move to Friday Impact to 3 to 4 p.m., which is slightly better, but really only slightly, as well as adding a Saturday midnight replay show and adding an explosion in the weekday afternoon time slot. 
If SNN gives them the slots, they're okay, but they're paying extra for additional slots, and Dave's presuming that would be the case. The extra expense is nothing they're going to make back through advertising. They're also trying to come up with celebrity-involved but ideas. Since W was put on the mainstream map by Mr. T, Sidney Lauper, and Mike Tyson, was a catalyst for his biggest fear in history. Of course, celebrities also in the long run hurt WCW more than helped them, so it's hardly a guarantee. Ah, yes. <laughs> when, when you need some help, go find some celebrities. Yeah. I found the what, right ones. So what time was Impact airing at this point? I don't remember them airing at a time other than 3 to 4 on Fridays on Fox Sports. I don't think they had a regular spot. Oh, so that there was no like semi-concrete time slot until that happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a, a regular slot. Okay. But, I mean, you got all this going on, too. You got this uncertainty with your odors. And then you got this uncertainty here with a television contract. You know, I mean, it's... And it's one that you're paying for regardless. It really is amazing. And we, we, we talk about this a lot. It really is amazing that that company has lived as long as it's lived. Yes. And now they're about to go back to the TNA game. With all the stuff that's been that has been going on over the years for that company, the fact they're still alive and kicking is amazing. They've outlived WCW, they outlive ECW. Hell, they've outlived them both combined. I mean, if Fight Network didn't have a dire need for filler programming in 2016, that company's probably dead. Yeah, but. <laughs> you know, they they were the right th- you know the right thing at the right time for for Fight TV. Yeah, and it kept them alive. Or Fight Network. I Fight Network, say. excuse not me, not Fight TV. Yeah, I don't remember which so, I said, but <laughs> either or. Yeah. But hey, sometimes that's what it takes is luck. WCW and ECW weren't so lucky. Yeah, I, and now. I, I, <sighs> I mean, it's it's not something you can judge really strictly in profit and loss because it's it's there to have its value to the parent company, you know, on TV on its TV networks and whatnot. But I mean, it seems it it seems like it's stable right now, but it, there's also the question mark of how much that's going to change in 2024. If they deliver on these claims that they're going to start running like bigger venues for some reason, yeah, you can't put. I mean, you can't put anything past them because, like I said, they've they've went as long as they went. They've always found a way. Yep. All right, so let's go to Impact, which aired before the pay review, December third, in Brian Alvarez with a review. Sanjay Dutt and the Amazing Red started off against Chris Daniels and Elit Skipper. Fun opener. Bad guys got the heat on Red, who, if you haven't noticed, is a completely different wrestler after his knee surgery. Just when things were doing great, Skipper wheeled out a cartwheel for no logical reason. Don't get me wrong, I have nothing against cartwheels, and there are times when I can think of a logical reason they should be used. For example, if my buddy Vince did a cartwheel during the middle of a match when he was getting the heat, I would work phenomenally well, but that's only because he's Finn's. So anyway... Sanjay got the hot tag around Wild, including hitting an awesome tilt-to-world DDT on Skipper. 
Red got the blind tag and was going for a sunset flip powerbomb dealy, but Skipper cut him off with a kick and Daniels rode through the pin. Yay, TNA! Absolutely shocking, by the way, that the WCW power plant guy is the only one not in the wrestling business anymore 19 years later. <laughs> yeah. AMW cut a promo with the greatest interview in the world today, Shane Douglas. Hyping <laughs> on the preview Sunday. Apparently having some sort of match where to lose a team has to split up forever. Yes, they cannot team again until the end of time. I'm thinking this might be a gross exaggeration of the facts. Well, it was. Shane interviewed Monty Brown, who was doing push-ups backstage. I cannot do this interview justice. First, Monty started ranting and raving and made a legend Darth Vader quote that as a child who watched Star Wars approximately four to four times in the theater when it first came out, I don't remember what Darth Vader even saying. He was wildly gesturing with his left hand, and Shane felt the need to keep his gaze fixed on his hand so that his head was also wildly, wildly gesturing. Then Abyss walked up and hit Monty with a two-by-four, which caused Shane to do his best Dean Hill impersonation. Abyss flexed his muscles, which were completely obscured behind layers of clothing and also fat, and growled, <laughs> which led to Abyss versus two frail jobbers who did not even get introduced. According to the Fox Box thingy, these two men were Matt Mayer and Vance Desmond. I'm trying to think if Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair would have been Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair had they instead been named Matt Mayer or Vance Desmond. I assure you they would not have been Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan had they ever been in their careers. Looked like either Matt Mayer or Vance Desmond, particularly a really skinny one in the orange wind pants, whichever one he was. Abyss killed them in 140. Note to aspiring wrestlers. First, if you look like either Matt Mayer or Vance Desmond, there's no hope for you in this current state. And second, if you want to make some of yourself in this business, getting killed two-on-one on impact looking like that is the worst kind of exposure I could possibly imagine. Considerably worse than no exposure at all. Well, you know who, you know who the one that you know was the total outlier and all that? We just mm. talked about him before the show, Vix. James Ellsworth. I mean, that was that was, I think, him having such a distinct appearance. But still, I mean, he looked like such a jobber, and the way he the way he he worked that match with Strowman, it got him over. You know, mm. it got him over and got him a job. So you know, while Brian's probably right in theory. There are these guys who may look like this, and if they go out there and do an impressive enough job in that type of role of getting their asses kicked, and the fans like start getting behind them in a cult way, you can get jo- you can get employment out of that. Ellsworth is the guy that, that, that you look at. I mean, that's the only thing to look at him for inspiration for. Yes. But... <laughs> so. Yeah, it can happen. So, I mean, hell, just last week, and it's a different type of deal. Just last week, we talked about Bob and Rip Rogers. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob, Bob didn't want to bring that dude back, but the fans were so into him and his shtick that they were, like, demanding Baba bring him back, and Baba buckled and did it. He did it for one tour, but still he did it. This is giant Baba. Mm-hmm. So... Sometimes it's just, you know, how you do your job 
can can possibly affect you getting more work. Yeah. So. <laughs> every time, every time I think of James Ellsworth, though, I think of uh, <laughs> Chris Jericho. One of the great Chris Jericho promos of all time was him roasting him. Uh, and was that a Survivor? Was that a Survivor Series thing? Or I don't know. It was a brand brand on brand deal, but oh, it was hilarious! Hot brand on brand action. Watching the guys in the ring trying not to to corpse as Jericho's making fun of Ellsworth, and Ellsworth's reaction to Jericho making fun of Ellsworth that was pretty fucking great. All right, uh, here we go. Hall and Nash came out to their fat ass hooky music. Hall cut a great promo in which the first thing he did was forget the name of this coming Sunday's pay-per-view. At least he remembered his opponents, which is more than I did. He also had a message from me, Chico. (laughs) That had something to do with AJ Styles and a bus stop. Crowd loudly chanting, boring. Nash said the crowd didn't want to hear him talk, he'd sing. So he sang about one line, then lost his train of thought. The crowd cheered. See, I sang, and you shut up, didn't you? Well, he got them there. Nash was also making fun of how he didn't take any bumps. They took the show over again. Nash said from now on he wasn't big sexy. He was the Silver Fox. I need to write a death of TNA book just for my own amusement, Brian said. Oh, we're going to watch this one. So let's watch uh, Hall and Nash here uh, just acting a fool on Impact. This is the version that is on Impact's Facebook page, which is about three minutes long. So I don't know if it's the whole thing, but let's see. Scott Hall has the microphone, and he's joined by Kevin Nash. Hey, yo. Sign, Rod, or test sign. Yeah, Everybody's real excited about... Yeah. Cause, all right, this is December the 3rd. This isn't live, obviously. Uh, Malice at the Palace was November 19th. So right there, not too, they taped this not too long after that. A hmm. lovely night in the history of the National Basketball Association. <laughs> yes. Turning point. Okay, we've got to get that again. I see it. <laughs> Everybody's real excited about What's the name of the show? Turning Point. <laughs> and the way I Pause. see it. Yes. Just forgive you folks what happened here. He's trying to think of the interview. He doesn't know. He goes to Nash and Nash tells him what the name is. And then he says Turning Point. The Kings of Wrestling. Jeff Jarrett. Oh, yeah, that's their name at the time. <laughs> yes. Big Sexy Kevin Nash and Scott Hall have a message for AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, and the macho man, Randy Savage. What a team. And this is the message, Chico. AJ, you get Hardy and you follow Savage to the bus stop because the Kings are taking you to school. December 5th, a Genesis. No, I ain't going to be nothing with my.
<laughs> Wait a minute, what? I think that was on purpose. <laughs> I'm not sure if that makes it better. And Nash is definitely in his uh, Silver Fox era here. Yes. Hey, Brown, it's going to be the Kings of Wrestling. Because December 5th, we take over professional wrestling. A stranglehold. See, the last couple of weeks, we've slowly, slowly been, been smoking like a fine piece of Memphis rib. <laughs> well, if you don't want to hear me talk, then maybe you might want me to sing. Monty Brown, I wrote you a little something, and it goes like this. Tonight, Monty Brown, you're going to fight. You got some ribs. You're going to take a beat. See, I say you shut up, didn't you? Because I control you. I control all of you. And, of course, they mess it up on TV because they're dubbing in extra crowd noise. Yes. Yeah, it's very sweetened. TNA. Bow to the kings of wrestling. But we're not waiting to the fifth. Oh no. Oh no. Tonight. Tonight it starts. The Genesis. Oh, it's almost a bump. Starts tonight. <laughs> it was almost a bump on the house. Grab that. Grab that camera. We're taking the show over. You shooting me? One more thing. From now on, I'm no longer Big Sexy. I'll be known as the Silver Fox. Hair was perfect. Follow me, cameraman. We're taking this show over. You got a knife to sell? Knife to sell? Turn to Don West. (laughs) Who's corpsing? (laughs) <laughs> technically wasn't he selling swords more than knives <laughs> well a sharp blade I guess would that make swords and knives his favorite Tears for Fears song I guess so anyway that that was a segment on a wrestling show and that was it yeah that's where it ends Oh. Yeah, that was definitely something. <laughs> All right, so uh, that led to Kid Cash versus Chris Saban. Saban's hair appeared to be purple this week. Cash dropped him on the rail and got the heat. Saban made a big comeback and got a near fall with a, what was that? Get the booking. They've been pushing Saban versus Petey Williams for the X-Tile that baby forever. And going on and on about Saban as a counter for the Canadian Destroyer. So on this show... Two days for the pay-per-view. Saban went for the cradle shock, and Cash turned into a cradle for the pin. Well, at least he used the tights. Talk about the epitome of stupidity. You can't even argue that this uh, Cash is a contender for Saban's X-Title because Saban didn't win the X-Title of the pay-per-view. Good match, though. I love Kit Cash. Tough guy. <sighs> Diamond Dallas Page came out to do an interview and was jumped by Raven. This was a huge mistake, as Paige looked totally gun-shy, and Raven was being super careful with his stomps and such. 
The heat was great, though. Page went for the diamond cutter, but Raven bailed. And then the unthinkable happened. Eric Watts appeared in the rafters observing these crazy happenings. What a three-way that's going to be. <laughs> uh, goodness. Next was the main event. Yeah, the main event. Monty Brown versus Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World Heavyweight title. They did the fancy ring intros for the match. I love how the Fox boss listed a 30-minute time limit, even though we were 50 minutes into the show. If they were going to do a match with a 30-minute time limit on a 60-minute show, especially if they're going to have a running clock, then the damn sure should start prior to the 30-minute mark. There is that. Crowd heat was good, and the folks sure hate Jarrett. Whether it's good or bad heat, Brian had no idea, but let, they hate him. Loud, let's go Monty chance. Monty finally missed a stinger splash. And went over the top of the floor for the heat. This looked clumsy and scary. Monty, by the way, had his ribs taped up courtesy of that horrid two-by-four shot earlier. They botched some sort of spot and were unable to edit it since. Of course, that was screwed the on-screen clock. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jerry ended up putting him in a bear hug for a long time. Which actually isn't absurd since Monty did have injured ribs. Wait, does that mean they were overlaying the clock during the tapings? I guess so. Yeah, hey, everybody. Monty made a big comeback, and the fans were counting along for his near falls. He looked a bit blowed up. Jarrett, doing the old Triple H, kicked out of everything, including Monty's powerbomb. Ref took a bump, and Jarrett clonked him with a guitar. Monty, however, no-sold that. Jarrett grabbed him anyway, hit the stroke. Monty kicked out. He actually, no joke, hooked up from his knees. The only thing missing was the big boot. He hit the pounce, but Scott Hall ran in. He took the worst pounce ever. Jarrett then clumped Monty with the two share shots. University, all of this took place right in front of the referee. That was a DQ. Some of us have remembered that if Jarrett would have been DQ'd, he'd have lost the belt. So he pinned Monty right there in the middle of the ring. By far, Monty's best match ever. But what a shitty finish. Oh, not a decent show. Okay, I, I need you to see this ref bump. Who is that, Rudy Charles? I think so. He basically had to walk in a semicircle to get into position to get involved. And yeah. then even then, Jeff didn't really crash into him on the uh, blockbuster suplex. Not really. Everything Jared can give. What a blow. 
an uppercut by Garrett. Michael Vaughn, and he's just turning him on. It's firing him up. You know, you can tell this is late in the taping because the crowd noise, so much of the crowd noise is dubbed in for someone who was over, especially as over as Brown was getting this kind of match layout from Jarrett. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay, so I don't know if we even need the rest of the finish. But... An AOS is great, though. Yeah. Can't take that away. Yep. So, so, so great together. Mm. Yeah. Monty Brown, of course, big what if, but you know, and he in TNA there was the whole thing of like, well, he he's really a full time personal trainer and he makes good money at that and all that. Then he gets a WWE offer and he goes there, but that ends up getting cut short because of the you know his sister having her health issues and him needing to take care of her kids, and yeah. you know. Stepped up, did the right thing, and we've never heard from him again. Well, he's been around, but just not wrestling. Not in wrestling, that's what I mean. Yeah, he's done stuff, but just not in wrestling. Oops. All right. <laughs> didn't mean to do that. <laughs> With much of the talent recognizing the straits the company's really in, this is Dave. The, the TNA promotion pulled off one of the best preview shows in wrestling. One of the best preview shows in wrestling history. What? On December 5th in Orlando. Paced by an off-the-charts cage match with America's Most Wanted versus Triple X, with the losing team having to break up. The show, the show featured a spot that Day praised never happens again. Will perhaps, perhaps be the most memorable spot of the year, when Elit Skipper walked to the top of the cage and gave a hurricane run to Chris Harris back into the ring. What's scariest of all is that Skipper stumbled and had a hard time getting balance on top of the cage before he did the tightrope walk. He's done the rope walk hurricanrana in the past, but has slipped doing it on occasion. Even on top rope, a slip to the floor has its risk. Off the top of the cage, a slip could emit paralysis or death. And it's just not worth it. Apparently, the wrestlers had talked about the spot beforehand. It was generally in the match, but there was a talk of not doing it, both due to risk. And if Skipper felt he was tired from 20 minutes of wrestling, to where it wouldn't be a good idea. Dusty booked the match 25 minutes and actually went 21-01. And know there would have been either a classic or a disaster in a sink or swim for four guys who had a bad match on pay-per-view a month earlier. We'll talk about that when we get to the match. Yes. And- I, I, oh, I do want to note, though, like, I also thought it was weird how this match basically just kind of replaced the previous cage match these two teams had. Well, yes. Where Elix Skipper even did the same spot. Yeah. Albeit off, off of not as tall of a cage. No. Fans live Universal Studios gave both teams a lengthy stand ovation after a match that actually led to the standard set in the most famous match ever with the same stipulations. The nineteen eighty Ricky Steamboat Jay Youngblood went over to Sardis and Don Canodal for the NWA tag titles. It was one of the biggest matches in the history of Carolina's wrestling, but it was hardly a one match show, as there were only two bad matches. Unfortunately, worst was the main event. And what turned out to be the smartest move of the night, new Booker Dusty Rhodes put the cage match on last, as a version that would have led to a flat finish of the show. The one-two punch of the cage match and the Petey Williams-Chris Saban X-Division match. And this one are every bit as good as the top two matches at Backlash for WWE in April, which was Foley and Orton hardcore match and Triple H Shawn Michaels-Benoit rematch. And this show blew away every pay-per-view offering WWE has done since that time. 
While Dusty's first show is head booker, if that's even the correct title, was success. It was also another show itself as far as key matches. We're all booked by Dutch Mantel and Jeff Jarrett before the change. Right now, there's an interesting company dynamic because Jarrett's already back as a key player in booking. If he ever really left. While Dusty's the boss and made it clear to everyone, Jarrett and Mantel are still in the game and allies with each other. There was second-guessing a future plan. It's ridiculous Dusty's idea that changed the January 16th main event from Jarrett defending his DDP to Jarrett against Randy Savage. The arguments, naturally, are that Savage is far bigger than DDP and should draw more. The negative is the company was aware of just how much of a joke Savage is at this stage. To the point they hit him with a kidnapping angle and only had him run in for the finish. In street clothes, including a long sleeve shirt. He's so physically limited that his pinfall of a Jarrett during the title shot was on a block sunset flip and simply one punch from that position. Anyone who saw the show, even might think emphasizing that he pinned the champ and deserved the next shot. The idea of Jarrett and Savage ran an event, which Jarrett himself was originally in favor of, for obvious reasons, since in his eyes, he gets a win over Savage, providing Savage agreeable to that finish, is nothing anyone would want to see. And the thought of Jarrett having to carry him to a credible world time match is a scary thought. Jarrett's DP has no box office either, but at least it'd be a good match. Of course, what ended up happening made it a moot point as Savage once again walked out of the tapings on December 7th for Orlando, where an angle was scheduled with Jarrett. Savage and Rhodes, Jarrett, Savage, and Rhodes, where Rhodes would announce the main event. The word was when talking over the idea of the January 16th title match, Savage refused to do the job when he found that that was the plan and left again. Quite frankly, it shows him right because the result in the title match should have been told to Savage, and they should have something on paper with him so they could take legal recourse for screwed up the storylines before they ever put him over on the show. Savage's not the bad guy here because he made it clear when he was first coming in he was going to put Jared over. Then they booked his win, knowing he'd already made that clear, and then were mad when he said it again. Instead, Jared and D- Dustin, excuse me, Jared and Dusty had a conversation, but Savage's name was never mentioned, nor was the main event announced. Probably to avoid them committing to something in case Savage had a change of heart. And the last time he walked out of a taping, it was back in, in the fold a few days later. There was no indication they come in any direction. Although Hector Garza got surprised to make a push, pitting AJ Styles on hour one of the TV, and then having Jarrett beat, uh, then having Jarrett beat when Hall and Ash interfered in the second hour. They could also go on to Monty Brown, who was the idea of the first event in December and January shows and booking plans a few months ago, since DDP is already programmed on January 16th for Eric Watts. <sighs> Savage ain't doing no jobs for Jeff Jarrett, brother. I don't care if his dad's the boss or not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else there even is to say. I mean, to... it's just it's just hilarious. It's just hilarious. And he was upfront about it. It's not like he's pulling like suddenly pulling shit. Like No. So they should have known what was coming. But it didn't happen that way. Alright, uh also playing for Jeremy sixteen for James Harrison uh Chris, excuse me, Chris Harrison, James Storm, sorry, challenging the new NWA Tag Champions, Eric Young and Bobby Roode of Team Canada. When Harrison Storm signed a new contract, one of the things they promised them was a tag title run in the near future. Apparently, they were lied to, believing that they could also get a title run over Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Apparently, it would beat the Three Life Crew. As it turned out, that isn't what happened. It would have been hard to believe it would turn into something like that. There will also be an Ultimate X match with champion Petey Williams against AJ Styles' Chris Saban. Ultimate X is TNA's best invention. They're coming off doing one on November 10th on the Best Dance Sports Show. 
match would be great, but they destroyed the novelty of the match by doing it so often. Well, that's how that goes in wrestling. You get matches get killed off like that. Mm-hmm. And he's saying this in 2004. Yes. And, th- and he's right. They really did it way too often. And they're not the only ones. Mm-hmm. The show drew 650 to 700 fans. The full television happened in the corners. The company was expected 500 troops to come in from McDill Air Force Base in Tampa and fill out the other 200 slots with local diehards. The company never pushed pay-per-view locally or even that hard at the tapings because they figured that it would turn people away even without promotion due to limited availability. What? <laughs> uh, uh, what? What? And who who was going to bring these troops? <laughs> I guess they're going to come in on tanks. Okay. I have no idea. Oh, my goodness. Why? Um, unlike Victory Road, for we earlier, this was a free ticket. Well, that's why I guess they thought they were going to do that. It was free tickets. The bomb dropped when only 40 or so troops ended up coming. But they were lucky that enough fans came, and those who came were super enthusiastic. In many ways, this pay-per-view was reminiscent of the legend of ECW. With a small but rabid fan base, and the wrestlers who knew the company was in trouble, and with that extra length to put on memorable matches. A tear falls down Paul Heyman's eye. <laughs> they, uh, the response level to the show was down 29% from Victory Road four weeks earlier. If that show did 35,000 buys was a current estimate, then you could probably make an early prediction in 25,000 range for this show. That ain't good. Yeah. The show's full of comedy nonsense at WWE. They had a guy, ring announcer Tim Welch, dressed up as Vincent Mann coming in a limo with a supposed Triple H, Johnny Divine and Team Canada, with a wig and a sledgehammer. These are reminiscent of the billionaire Ted skits that WWE put on this show when it was losing TV Russell Ward at WCW. They had a bis bring the supposed events called Vince McDaddy with the water spinning guy using the Triple H voice as his useless son. Oh my goodness. They had the Vince character wanted to see Dusty Rose immediately, but Rose blew him off. Ended up with the Triple H character getting a videotape and smashing it with a sledgehammer, only to find out it was a best of D-Ray 3000 tape. Vince was later mad because there wasn't catered food, so he needed protein every three hours, meat, fish, lobster, and then got mad when Tracy Brooks brought him a batch of cookies and threw them on the floor. The skits concluded with T of the Midget beating up Vince, who again screamed that he would sue, and as he was writhing in pain, said, where's my son-in-law, that idiot? He ended up being taken to the hospital. Triple H wasn't there because he was at the gym. The adventure showed the relatively innocuous and almost useless footage that they took a few weeks back when WWE shot his Royal Rumble commercial at Universal Studios in Orlando. Luckily, through the three live crew making Joseph Bastille and WWE's catered mahi-mahi, it wasn't a complete dud. They digitized faces out to avoid the threatened lawsuit of both Luther Reigns and Rey Mysterio. Mysterio and Conan had been best friends since they met to the late 80s when they trained together Mysterio's uncle in Tijuana. They were like best friends, best friends, while BG James joked that Mysterio being nice to them was a firing offense. While Reigns' voice would give away, it's almost doubtful anyone would know who he was there. With Ray with his voice and arm tattoo, let alone how I many five foot two wrestlers there are at WWE, it was obvious. Overall, the skits were a lot funnier than most of the Ted stuff, and even much of DCW parodies of the big companies that were done in the 90s. 
When Silver Mike's name made a joke about the threatened lawsuit, saying it's not only brought the tank to their headquarters, in reference to DS coming to the WCW headquarters in Smyrna, and to CNN Center in the 1998 skits. Oh, hey, they. Can, can we watch Vince McDaddy? So does he does he sprinkle this throughout the recap, or is this all he writes about this? This is all he writes about this. Okay, so... I know, but where do I... Okay, where do I need to look? I think Vince McDaddy starts the show. Okay, we oh, have we need, watch, we need to watch this intro to this show, though. Just start here? We need to watch the intro, yes. With the oh kings my. of wrestling green, oh green screened God. in their car, dressed like Elvis going through Vegas? Yes. Hold on, do I need to refresh this? Okay. This is TNA. The new face of professional wrestling. I love this business. I love this life. I love TNA. <laughs> I am living my dream. Well, looks like, boys, we're going to turn a point. Uh-huh. <laughs> Guys, it's great to be the king. It's good to be the king. We, we are the kings of wrestling. The Macho Man Randy Savage is an icon of professional wrestling. People like Macho Man paved the way for guys like me in this business. I had to come back after watching what was happening with the Kings of Wrestling, destroying everybody and destroying the young kids that are trying to come up. Macho Man making his return to the ring. Uh, Macho Man. Be a man. Yeah, yeah. I used to sell meat products. Oh, no. I used to snap in the... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I know, it's not... For some reason, Spacebar wasn't working. So... So Kevin Nash, in, 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 in alternating shots, has his fake Elvis hair and his regular Silver Fox hair. Okay. TNA, everybody. And he's also not in the same seat. Yeah, they're all well. I think that's part of the thing. Okay. There, yeah, there, there he is. Okay. All right, here we go. Yeah. He's got yeah. Elvis hair. Yeah, yeah. I used to sell meat products. Now he does. No. Now he does. Now he does it. Snap into it. <laughs> Time for you to snap out of it. He's going to be leaving the building quicker than Elvis. <laughs> snap into it. I respect this. I don't respect the kings of wrestling at all. KOW, you stand. For everything that is wrong in this business. AJ AJ Styles. AJ Styles. AJ Styles. Boys, he ain't nothing but a hound dog. Get your books and run on down to the bus stop. Guys, don't don't be cruel. Because the kings of wrestling are taking you to school. Scott Hall, the first match I ever had was with you. I had so much respect for you. I have no respect for you now. Jeff Hardy. The charismatic enigma. Yo, Jeff Hardy. Showtime. That boy can't sing, he can't dance, he can't play guitar. And he damn sure can't wrestle. I can't wrestle. I don't think much of Jeff Hardy. Jeff Jarrett, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash. You guys are in the danger zone. Yeah, but you ever write to drive? Hey, I'm fine. I don't think so. Pull over, man. Pull over. You're always bossing me around. Whoa, watch out. Kings of wrestling. What? More games. This is it. Tonight, the song is over. Playtime is over. We will crush you. Oh, yeah. It's good to be the king. We're pulling to the parking lot. (laughs) Where are 
last journey. Elvis has left the building. <laughs> Get your game faces on. I'm serious, Kevin. There you go, Kevin. Looks good. Just look it back, now. The kings of wrestling have arrived. We are the kings of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know who produced that there you go borash holy shit what an opening that was my god why and now tna wrestling presents turning point hi it's my daddy <sighs> actually let's see do we have a rundown here oh god bless garrett kidney <laughs> Look at these wonderfully detailed timestamps here. Yeah. Hardest working man in wrestling. <laughs> Seriously, has there ever been a... I mean, I guess other than Chris Harrington AEW, has there ever been a better fan hired by a wrestling promotion fit than Garrett doing Impact's uh, social media? No. Okay, so... What are so we looking 514, for? 514. Okay. Let's start off there. That, uh, that's there. not from... Oh, that's great. Bex, read. Okay. I, I think this... I thought this is something different. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Universal Studio. Home of TNA. Turning point. They think they're going to air that thing over my dead body. You married into my family. Oh, you, what do you want? Oh, again with the balloons? Get that out of here. They're not having that. No, you know what uh, game you're playing now? Ready? Donna! Well, let's so hear what Danae says. Actually. I think we're in for quite an interesting evening tonight at Turning Point, and what a great way to kick things. So this okay. is what this is all about is that video, basically. Yes. So but it's about the Universal Studios Royal Rumble commercial thing. They had like Tracy Brooks come over with a tray of cookies. So they start that's where all the cookie stuff ends up coming from. I think there was someone brought balloons to uh now we have so wait, okay, is there nothing Backstage. at fifty five thirty five? Okay. Yeah. Hey, blue jeans is against the dress code. You're fired. Matt, Daddy, I don't vote for you. You can't fire me. I can fire anybody I want. Come on, son. Gotta find a tape. Hey, she's got a tape. Get her. Get it. Smash it. Smash it to smithereens. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What is this? Best of D-Ray 3000. You idiot! That's the wrong tape. We gotta find the real one. Come on! And we are back at stage 21. And Don, one thing we know. Oh my goodness! I... Uh, all right, let's see what else do we have here. Uh, uh 121, 
Lobster? Mahi, Mahi? Who is it? Oh, it's about time. Hello, Mac Daddy. Who are you? I'm Tracy, sir. And I just love to say, on behalf of Universal Studios and TNA Wrestling, I'd like to offer you some cookies and some milk. Get these cookies out of here. The whole reason this crap started to begin with. Let's get out of here. Give me that tape. Give me Dusty Rose. What's the matter with you, idiot? Get out of here. You give me Dusty. Give me that tape. Don't come back to me, too. One thing we... Oh, God. All right. You know, we didn't realize we were going to have clips, I think, on TNA. This this show's going to end up being two files, isn't it? Let's go. Well, let's go to this one. Which one? one. 152.36. Okay. These aren't long, at least. I know, but still. We're almost an hour in. Oh, there's a minute. Senior TNA official. Senior TNA official? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Who are you? Where's Dusty Rhodes? Dusty has bigger fish to fry. Oh, all right. Very funny. Come on, little guy. Let me tell you something. Dusty Rhodes... Ow! 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 I'm chewing! Ow! I'm chewing! Ow! 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 I'm chewing! Ow! Ow! What the fuck? Oh, where's my son-in-law, an idiot? Oh! Ow! TNA! Going down! You hear me? Ow! Alright. Uh so next we go to fifteen forty five. Just the meticulousness of Garrett Kitty. Uh You're being stretchered. Where have you been? Did you see what that little guy did to me? I was looking for the tapes and I found the gym. Oh, you were I can't believe it! You tell me you found the tape, Daddy! I will show Daddy! What do you want me to do? (laughs) I'll say this Johnny Devine's impression of the Triple H promo style is fantastic. Well, whoever's doing Vince is doing a good job, too. This is just. Why is this happening? Oh, and so now it's just it's just the video package of Cookie Gate is all that's left, right? Yeah. We're here at Universal Studios, home of TNA Wrestling, the epicenter of wrestling, and we're here to welcome our good friends from the WWE World Wrestling, no pun intended, entertainment. We want to welcome them here because word has it they're here to check out what a professional wrestling program looks like. So we've got cookies with Tracy and a few other muffins. And we've got Big Abyss, the monster, with a welcoming balloon. So you can't ask for a better deal than what's going on right here in TNA at Universal Studios. What y'all, you eating mahi-mahi today? We just came to welcome them to Orlando, man. Hey, you know Vince? You know Vince, bro? Ask him if I can get a salad. Just, I don't mean to interrupt you, dude. I, we come, yeah, we come in peace. I just wanted to try to talk to Vips. Where's Vince man? We're here to What's going on, bro? How you doing, man? How you doing? Wait, is Vince around? No, show. He's a friend of mine, man. He, re- he might not remember me. I made him a... Uh, don't... I mean, the ones that... It, remember, they're wearing wigs, because this is the West Side Story thing. But I guess that's Luther Reigns? I guess. I can't tell because the hair. Also, the blurring on this is very cheap and badly done. Well, I think that was done on purpose. 
No, but I mean the way it's like these big globs all over the screen. I know, but I think it was done on purpose that way. Okay. Bunch of money, but I, I don't know if he, he's getting older and it's, you know, it started. Maybe tell some of the boys, Benoit, tell Benoit to come out here. I just want to get a plate. I just want to get some mahi-mahi, man. How you doing? That is too much to pay right there, bro. That is too much to There's pay right there. We got you a balloon, homie. We come in peace representing, you know. By the way, you're fired. <laughs> you know, it's the best guy's supposed to interview all the talent. We got Conan back here with his boys, Run the Truth Kill. In case you ever wanted some uh, video proof of just what a chill person Ray Mysterio is. Yeah. This Truth is, it. is wearing the fakest throwback jersey I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, that is terrible. Terrible fake. Holy shit. We got BG James. We got the big monster abyss. Six foot eight, 350 pounds. With <laughs> welcome balloons. You can't be any more welcoming than that. And Check back here, we got all. Tracy with her cookies and her muffins. The best thing of all. <laughs> also, he's 6'8", and he's the same height as Road Dog. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he's, he's, uh, this other gravelly voice guy has a different euphemism for titties. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess Mindy's aren't the only muffin CM Punk has enjoyed. <laughs> oh, come on. You really think I was going to pass that up? <laughs> well, CM Punk's had a lot of muffins. It's right there. Uh oh. Ron Killings just went up and stole their <laughs> Mahi Mahi. <laughs> and only one person. Stop fucking saying Mahi Mahi. Jesus Christ. I've always heard that Vince was a, was a stand-up, straight-up guy would come get in your face if you had something to say, and I'm, I'm here to talk to Vince McMahon, and Vince, if you're here listening, please come on out and talk. I'd like to talk to you about a few things from the past. But like you said, he is a stand-up guy, but sometimes he has to sit down to aim. But here we are. <laughs> I, I'm here to aim. You know, I, you know, they've been known to come by and drop by and say hi every now and then. That's That's been their MO. You did it before. We came back, you know, we came by to say hi to them. You know what I'm saying? Try to be cordial. Exactly. Hey, don't come in our backyard and cook your mahi-mahi. If you do, we will take your food. <laughs> <laughs> now, why would the WWE threaten to sue us over that? We were just breaking out the welcome wagon. We were bringing them cookies. We were bringing them muffins. I mean, why would you be upset when Tracy shows you her cookies and her muffins and, and comes in goodwill. Why would that make you threaten a lawsuit? I mean, it's not like we drove a tank up to WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut or anything, is it? Oh, I think that would have caused a little bit of different reaction. And what I want to know was, who was the masked man that was giving you three live proofs died? I don't know, must be a pretty big three live proof fan, though, I would think. Absolutely. You ready for the main event? Oh, are you kidding me? I have been waiting for AMW and Triple X. Don West shirt. Yes. Amazing. What the fuck is the company? <laughs> well, now, I mean, WWE was, was, I mean, that's the truth. WWE was going to, was trying to sue them. Threatening to sue them, yes, over yes. that. And should get them to not to air it. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So, uh, the dark match had Andy Douglas and Shane Stevens beating Mikey. Hey, Stevens. 
I said Chase Stevens. You said Shane Stevens. <laughs> Whatever. That's how I thought I said Chase. I, I think I did. Be Mikey Bass and Jarrell Clark in a dark match when Bats was pinned after the natural disaster. Then we have uh, Eric Young and Bobby Roode as Team Canada beat BG James and Ron Killings as three live crew. Conan was working the Triple A Big Show at the same time in Nakapon to win the NWA Tag Titles in 830. Team Canada did a good job of bumping here. Most of the match is getting the heat on Killings set up James for the hot tag. He had the match won, but Scott the more distracted referee Rudy Charles, who missed the count. With the ref distracted, Johnny Devine returned, hit James with a hockey stick, and Rude got the pin. Fast-paced match, two and a quarter stars. At the Gaza, Sonny Siaki and Sanjay Dutt defeated Michael Shane, Frank Kazarian, and Kid Cash. That's a match of people. In 11-01, match total sprint of high spots, but it's what people wanted out of the match. Smartly, Siaki almost did nothing. Garza tried a monkey flip, slipped, nearly landed on his head. That was a big snafu and brought brief you fucked up chance for what was clearly an ECW Ring of Honor inspired crowd. It's great because I mean the enthusiasm was so high, but bad because also many casual fans don't have internet or knowledge of the pro excuse me, don't have interest or knowledge of the product. I could say something about today's wrestling, but I'm not. Most of the match saw the heels work on Dutt's injured left elbow. Garza got the hot tag and did a pitch perfect moonsault on Kazarian for a near fall. But the only thing Sasaki Siaki did was throw Dutt over the top for him to do the flip dive on the floor. Garza being Kazarian, that's a 20 year three and a quarter stars. Sonny Sasaki. <laughs> Monty Brown beat Abyss at 12 17 in a Serengeti survival match. Rules were you could win by pin submission or slamming your opponent into thumbtacks. Brown in a promo called Abyss. Obese. Abyss went for the earthquake sitting splash on Brown, who was laying on a chair, but Brown got the chair smashed into Abyss's groin. Dave wondered if TNA folds. Would John Laurinaitis even have a clue who Monty Brown is? Oh, you just you wait. <laughs> Brown used Oklahoma Stampede on a chair. Abyss sidestepped the pounce period and used a black hole slam, but Brown kicked out. Brown up giving Abyss the pounce period, sent him to the floor. Brown's up the table, but ended up going through it when Abyss sidestepped him. Abyss and Brown each pulled out a bag of thumbtacks at the same time filled the ring up. Abyss took off his leather vest revealing his physique. And if you saw this, you realize he just took $80,000 off his annual WWE downside guarantee by trying to prove to people that he'd take the thumbtacks on his back, ridden through his shirt. His physique looked like a guy who had never trained a day in his life. Not that it should matter, but his fossil next employers are mar- such martial bodies, and we are years past anyone giving a rat's ass about being tough enough to take a slam on thumbtacks. Brown blocked Abyss and slammed him down with a spine buster to win two and three quarter stars. Well, the joke's on you, Dave. Guess who works for WWE? <laughs> Not as a performer. No, but still. And uh, I don't know if we should be talking about why he never ended up wrestling there. But maybe that's another story for another day. Johnny B. Bad and Pat Kenny, the former Simon Diamond. Yes. Johnny B. Bad, Mark Merrill, and Pat Kenny. Be Glenn Gilberti and Johnny Swinger at 750. Remember when Kenny, Gilberti, and Swinger were all, t- all taken on television to be repackaged? So they came back as the exact same people. They said they gave Kenny an Empire Saint nicknames, that they do nothing that's pushing being different, not even a new costume, for God's sakes. Instead, making the brunt of third grade Irish jokes. This was supposed to be a six person tag with Jacqueline Moore and Trinity. It was not advertised on the show, so nobody cared about it. They hadn't even run any angles set these four up in a program, and Moore hadn't done any TV since last pay-per-view. Trinity called a few days before the show and told the office she had gotten a movie role, doing stunts for Steven Spielberg's remake of War of the Worlds, and couldn't do the pay-per-view. 
since show was already written, they were pissed at her for the decision. The instructions were to act as if she didn't exist. At this point, there are no plans to use her again. Moore ended up being the referee, wearing her old WWE ref outfit. Finish saw Jacqueline body slam Gilberti and bad pin him at their TKO star and a quarter. What a match this time. Uh, yes, the Johnny B. Bad TNA run. Jesus. Yes, there's a Savage promo in here that did not get mentioned by Dave. All right, well, let's watch that, I guess. I kind of feel like, I mean, it's not long. I feel like we kind of have to play that. Or, uh, Six uh, that's our dear friend Scott Hudson. Point indeed yeah. tonight in six-man tag team action. How about this one? The Kings of Wrestling, the World Heavyweight Champion, Jeff Jarrett, teams up with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. They have deigned to take over NWA TNA, but they've got to go through this trio. How about the charismatic enigma, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and my guest at this time, the one and only, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Yeah, here's the deal, Lucille, right now. Wrestling are not going to prevail. It's going to be the turning point for you guys. AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, and the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and the TNA Crizzle are going to beat you down. Get ready, because it's not going to happen on my watch. Hear that? Not on my watch. That one's going down later. Mike and Don, back to you. Wow, what a wild way to start off turning point nine. I mean, I'll say this. Savage seems engaged on the promos. He does. He just ain't doing no jobs. And he just has nothing left physically. Yeah. DDP pin Raven in some sort of no DQ match. Since there was interference everywhere, another one's called in 1203. They had a good match, but in their fear of that have would, so bad they were booked. They, they badly were booked that they took a lot away from the finish. At one point, DDP caught now referee Rudy Charles with a high kick. They went outside the ring with Paige hitting Raven with a garbage cannon lid. Raven came back with a shot in his war, with his war helmet for a near fall and his drop to a hole in the chair spot. Raven used a low blow small package for a near fall. Raven kicked out of the diamond cutter. Two masked dudes in hoods came out. Eric Watts, who was doing commentary as a babyface, protested it was unfair. Choke slammed both. And then naturally, and this was so pathetic because it was a needless swerve that everybody in the building could see, turned on DDP and clotheslined them. Went for the choke slam, but DP gave him a low blow. Suddenly, with the turn transparent, but it made no difference because it didn't even cost DP to match. DP used a diamond cutter for the win. I mean, dude used a diamond cutter on Watts, and then another low blow to Raven, and the third diamond cutter to win the match. The bout was considerably better than it read, as it was Raven's best match in a long time until they got so cute that the finish was one of those fuzzy things that meant nothing. Three and a quarter stars. TNA, TNA, and with that, with turns, you know, that's the way it is. Yep. PD Williams retained next title, pinning Chris Saban, eighteen eleven, just a super match with off the charts heat. People were screaming, "Let's go, Saban!" Uh, Alternating with "Let's go, PD Williams." Uh, he Williams to the plunge and Hurricane on the floor. Saban powerbomb Williams to a guardrail. Dave Hosea retired that spot. Big moves, near falls, innovative spots. Like Williams doing a midair spin. Into a Russian leg sweep. Saban did a flip dive. They even did the fry Takayama holding a punching spot. Scott Demur kept interfering with Demur distracting the ref. Williams pulled out brass nuts for the pin. Four stars. And then we get Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and Randy Savage beating the Kings of Wrestling, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Jeff Jarrett, and 1752. Nash, Hall, and Jarrett for the show being at the Kings of Wrestling dressed up like Elvis in jumpsuits and Elvis wigs. 
All right, then we got to play this because we didn't play this yet. They also did an angle where a car drove away and acted as if they had beaten up Randy Savage, threw him in a car, and he was kidnapped. It was actually because Savage couldn't wrestle and they were trying to hide the fact. All right, so let's watch that angle, shall we? Go down to the thing. Yeah, I have to see where that is. Because uh, I saw it earlier. Backstage interview. Limo passenger. Right there. Oh, there we go. Yes. Okay. Outside the building here at Stage 21 at Universal. What's going on? Savage? That's Randy Savage in that car? What the heck is going on here? It's like they, are they just kidnapping him? Elvis, you ready? Elvis. You've got to be kidding. They just, they just put Savage in the car and sent him off. I'll tell you what they're doing. They're sending a message. My they see how that Randy Savage has gotten the backing of all the guys in the locker room, and they're just... You take the leader and you try to cut the head off of it. And just how's that going to impact the six-man tag I mean, man? I mean, Don, this is just exactly though what you would expect from the kings of wrestling. You're right. This could. This is going to make it a three-on-two situation in that six-man tag. This means that AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy are going to be outnumbered. Oh, I'll tell you what, nigga. And think about it. They're not only outnumbered, they're outsized. <laughs> they're going to have to come up with all kinds of innovative ways to beat the kings of wrestling. And, Unbelievable! They just took care of the Macho Man Randy Savage. You knew that they had something up their sleeve. This has to be a major part of the plan of the Kings of Wrestling in their takeover of TNA. Macho Man Randy Savage, he's been kidnapped. Oh, they're trying to send a message to the guys here that they are taking over. And who's going to stop them now? Styles and Hardy? Ladies and gentlemen, coming up later in turn. And there was literally no physicality. You don't even see Randy Savage. No, and they didn't, they never mentioned Randy Savage. Uh, Tanae and Wes is the one mentioned Randy Savage. Yeah, they don't outright mention Savage in the cutaway. No. So how are we supposed to know who it was? And I mean, then, unless they said, "Oh, that's Randy Savage." Amazing. Well, <laughs> so when the match began, it was two on three. Hall and Nash wore the jumpsuits; they like giant clowns. The jumpsuits were to hide their physiques, although Nash is in great cosmetic shape for his age. But he couldn't hide the faces, as both, particularly Hall, have aged greatly. Hall like an aging wino, which is what he is. Jesus. <laughs> Nash calls his gray hair like a 55-year-old former NBA player like Phil Jackson or someone. <laughs> they even came out to the old flying Elvis theme. Hall tried, but it was like an out-of-shape guy trying to keep up. Jarrett and AJ were there to carry the match. Styles were for five people, but that wasn't enough, although the match was more than decent when he was in there, and that was most of the way. He made a cold tag to Hardy, and the match fell apart from there. Hardy had Hall pinned when Nashville referee Andrew Thomas out of the ring. Hall hit Hardy with a guitar shot. Savage finally showed up, and he made Hall and Nashville look youthful. Backstage, Dave was told Savage looked 100 years old. They thought on TV and didn't look more than a day over 60. Although he did look older than Lutez did when he saw him in his show in 1996 when Lou was 80. Savage threw a few punches and put Jarrett in a sleeper. Jarrett tried a sunset flip. Savage blocked it, punched Jarrett in the head, and got the pin. All right, let's watch this greatness, shall we? Yes, this uh, one-star match. So we'll we'll pick up with Savage coming out, yes? Yeah, okay, uh, yeah absolutely. Yes. They have given everything that they can. And it's everybody's out. Oh, wait a minute. What? Is that, it's Savage!
it's weird getting reminded that in this era they had kayfabe locker rooms. Yes. Because the two they had the heel and babyface entrances on opposite sides of the soundstage. Yes. I should note, by the way, that his hair plugs from five years earlier are gone. Way gone. Like, I, I'm curious as to how and why that happened. He's as bald as ever here. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, five years later when he remarries and all that, and he's, like, aging gracefully bald. Here, he's, he's like, still trying to hold on to everything. And he looks like he's auditioned to be a member of the Baldies in ECW. <laughs> Think about it. He's fresh. He's so fresh. Because he was able to escape. And here he is. He makes it to the ring. And he gets to go have it. One, two, three. Savage has taken it all three of them. Jared Holland Nash. Savage has turned this thing around against the keys. Oh, Jared still has a good work from punch. Again, right now. You got look at that. But yeah. Savage is able to get out of it now. The Macho Man has the sleeper hole. He's got it locked in on Jared. He's trying to fight off Holland Nash. AJ as well. Now all six men in. We've got three sleeper holes. He doesn't the have a sleeper hole. Jared over the fight out. Oh, wait a minute. Jared trying to pull Savage back, but Savage One, fighting with everything. Two. Did he get it? Did he get it? There goes McDaddy. Good lord! Like, obviously, like, obviously, he just cannot do anything here. Like, it's a miracle that his punch still looks like the Randy Savage punch. Yeah. Good lord. Anyway, but you understand why? I mean, you understand why they brought him in. You do. You know. I mean, and th- this ends up being his last match. Well, his last match of his career. Yes, and what a last match it was. Yes. Oof. All right, Steel Cage. The six sides of Steel Cage. America's most wanted beat Triple X. Eel Skipper and Chris Daniels and Loose Team must split up forever. Six sides Steel Cage match 21 on 1. Daniels juice heavily after being slingshot to the cage. The handcuffs on Harris proceeded to beat the hell out of Storm. Triple X used the old demolition finish on Storm for a near fall. Storm got the key and locked his partner. Chris Harris juiced. AMW did the 80s WF tag team finish with a rocker plex heart attack. Triple X used AMW's death sentence on Harris for near fall. Storm powerbombed Skipper while standing on the top rope while Skipper was sitting on the cage. There was Tower of Doom spot where everyone looked to a huge bump that had the crowd going crazy. There was Skipper doing the rope ball hurricane run off the top of the cage. Crowd started chanting best match ever while Mike Tanay after the while we were seeing history. It won the greatest cage match of all time. And that wasn't even a stretch by this point. 
matching him with AMW, putting Daniels in handcuffs, doing the powerplex triple X finisher on Daniels, and Storm got the pin. Crowd gave both teams stand ovation to finish for several minutes. The heel dresser and then came out and gave a stand ovation triple X as they got to leave. This match blew away the match they had 17 months ago, and that may have been the best match of TNA history. There's little question in Dave's mind this match now has those honors. Four and three quarter stars. All right, let's watch the the skipper spot here. Yes. You are fighting at the very top of UC Daniels. This isn't the WWE top of the cage that has the... The the tress, no. The tress, no. This is a bar. This is a cage bar. This is old school steel cage right here. Yes. And because it's the six sides, he has less runway to do it. Yes. Than he did the first time. And he is at the opposite side of that panel. Mm-hmm. He is as far away as he could possibly be for this spot to hit. And there he just slipped. Yeah, yeah I mean, good God. Before he, he could even set himself. up. He kind of did, yeah. Yeah, but he almost did, really. No, I'm trying to make his way across the top of the steel. Look at this. Folks, this is do not... And he's having a hard time. And also, they didn't lower the cage, so there's not even, like, a, a wire for him to hold on to. No, this is a old-school built cage. Yeah. Like, he is completely freehanding this. Like, Yes, it's amazing. What is he doing? What is he doing? No, he's not I like how the crowd starts chanting, please don't die, and then realizes, actually, if we do not want him to die, we should stop chanting. Yeah. To be hitting me. Someone in military fatigues. We found one. Yeah. Um, Jesus. It actually is kind of amazing that this match is not really, even though, like, I feel like people talk about that spot, and especially Don West and Mike Tanay's call of it. I feel like, for whatever reason, even though everyone remembers it, 
it's not talked about among the greatest matches in company history the way it should be. Like, it should be talked up alongside Joe Daniels, Styles, and I guess now, you know, Speedball and Ospreys. And yeah. and the second uh, Joe Angle, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely up there among the greatest matches of TNA history. And, you know... Best matches in wrestling of that era. Yeah, and... You know, it, compared to the first match, too, it's bloodier. They do a lot more to, like, get over the brawling and the hatred and the feud and everything. Um, while still having all the crazy high spots. I mean, this... This is the best cage match, I think, of the two... Of the of the aughts, right? In America? I mean, yeah. I mean, there, I'm just thinking, is there a Hell in a Cell that's at all... Close. I mean, I take her lesser. I mean, there's some Hell in a Cell matches that are pretty great in the air, but that's a Hell in a Cell. That's different. Yeah, if we're talking just straight up steel cage match. Yeah, I can't. It's this one. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't compare Hell in a Cell to other matches. So, wow, just fantastic stuff, man. TNA when they had great shit. I mean, it was great shit. And when once Dusty settled into a groove, he was not doing a bad job booking the TV. No, you know he's still kind of he's just getting started here and really dealing with a pay per view that was booked by his predecessors, who I guess turned into his assistants. But he he wasn't bad on the you know booking here. So I mean, it, this is an enjoyable company to watch at this time, even if it has some issues, like. Fox Sports Net era TNA is maybe the easiest to watch, like most frictionless version of the production. Yeah. At least when it was still TNA. Yeah. But yeah. Hell of a fucking match. Yeah. But there were some injuries. As I go back to figure four weekly. This should come as a shot that nobody saw it. The most obvious was either Skipper, whose body was a wreck after the top of the cage Rana spot. He's actually lucky he's alive. Skipper, Chris Saban with a bad back and abyss human court board were all given the day off from impact to heal. Well, the Bryan Sunday company actually paid them for not working. Well, given given uh, everything going on with the company at the time, I think you do need to stress that. Yeah. Uh, back the day. Funny story is DDP's earning more money in TNA than he ever earned in WWE. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So, okay, they're clearly making some real big money offers then, because I know he didn't have, like, the level of down a downside that was close to his guarantee and was in WCW, but I gotta think he was at least guaranteed, what would you think? At least three or 350, right? Yeah. And he was on plenty of pay-per-views and stuff during his run there. So, like, he... Sh- <sighs> that's very interesting, if that's at all close to true. Yeah. Larry Zbysko is upset because he wasn't booked for either the pay-per-view or TV tapings this week. Well, he hasn't been on TV every show. He had been booked regularly since he lives in Jacksonville, and it's an easy drive. You remember back to the interview in Orlando when Dusty and Zabisco were together, and Zabisco did a far better promo, upstaged him, and Rose pitched a fit about it. Well, if Larry knew Dusty was going to be Booker in a few months, Dave guessed he could have tanked his promo. For whatever it's worth, Dusty was told he has six months to turn things around. Huh. Six Which, butts. 
which is interesting. Not a long time. No, it's not. And also, of all people, that it would be a dusty guy like Larry that he would resent that way. Yeah. And whenever, whenever Larry Zabisco worked for Dusty, Dusty pushed him very strongly. Yeah. The plan for Jim Mitchell and Abyss, which appears to be out the window again, was for Mitchell to play the role of a 60s circus carnival barker or a top ant cane having a booth with the monster Abyss all chained up behind a curtain. The idea was silly enough to promote as a new heel in the 80s for Hulk Hogan, but it's pretty much ludicrous for a character who has been a regular part of the TV show for two <laughs> years. That was largely to consist among people who saw the top hat and was told that he was told to buy, and he was asking around if he looked too campy. Okay, think about this. Jim Mitchell... Going up to people and being like, is this too campy? Jim Mitchell! <laughs> Mitchell's obviously couldn't understand why he couldn't just manage a business himself. At the last statement with Dusty having taken over his booker, Mitchell was told there was no plans for him. He wasn't happy since he took a day off of work to come to the taping, and then didn't get paid since he wasn't used. So the angle started, looks to have already been dropped. How is Dusty of all people not see something in him? That's weird. Yeah. Regarding Petey Williams' Canadian story move, Amazing Red actually did a running version of the move on the 2002 Ring of Honor show in Wayful, Massachusetts. So he did use it before Williams came to TNA. Okay. Go. So, the story that I've heard, I think most recently, I think there's an alternate version. And maybe it's really that the two overlap, but uh, I know there's one version where Sabin and... Uh, PD and Shelly had already been working on trying to do something like that, but the story as it goes, so either where they discovered it or where they realized it was possible was that they, I, I think it was Shelly and Sabin were staying at Chris Hero's house for an IWA show, and while they were there, Hero had on one of his tapes that was just, you know, I don't know if he got the idea from Rob Bahari or whatever, just, you know, tapes of, like, interesting moves that Chris had assembled. And on it was a a clip from a match from Steve Carino's PWF that featured Red and Quiet Storm doing what would become the Canadian Destroyer. And then they went back to, you know, Detroit, Windsor, wherever, told Petey, and they figured it out with PD and became PD's move. Well, there you go. Uh, and we close Big World Weekly. Run the truth killings on Steve Gerwick's hotline. Wait, Steve Gerwick had a hotline? Yes. Oh, yeah. And Gerwick.net still going today. Said if TNA went under, he focused on his music career and had no desire to work the WWE schedule ever again. He did know his favorite wrestler was Ric Flair. Oh, yeah. Ron Killings would never work for WWE ever again. No. As he made his triumphant comeback 19 years later. You know what? But, by the way, which should have been a sign that he would basically have a job for life. That they let him bring what's up with him from TNA. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, the, guy, the guy should have a job for life. He's great. Oh, did you see the idea, by the way? That, oh, I forget who it was that someone had on Twitter. About the punk thing? Being yes. Being a partner Judgment Day? <laughs> yes, that he being should. Being against Judgment Day? Yes, and that he should go up to punk and just act like 
he had no idea that Punk has been gone at, at all. <laughs> well, the best thing was was Raw Monday when when he was in the Judgment Day den and just doing this shit and try and watching those guys just. I mean, it's amazing to me how Damian Priest didn't corpse <laughs> when there there's some of that. How'd I do? <laughs> talk about war games. <laughs> so he was gonna be the fifth guy. <laughs> How'd I do? <laughs> oh, amazing! Anyway, I'm checking real quick. When did the original version of What's Up come out? Um. Oh wait, this is not okay. No, this is an upload, a later upload. This is not the original. Okay, it's from '06. So yeah, he was. He actually wasn't in. TNA that much longer after he started using it, I guess. And the closeout in classic TNA fashion. Brian was amused to read that the TNA countdown, the turning point clock on their website was running the wrong way Sunday night. Running the wrong way? What does that even mean? The, the, it was running opposite. The, it was, it was a, it was a, it was an analog clock that was running counterclockwise. Yes. TNA, everybody. Oh, God. <laughs> How? It's TNA. And unfortunately, there does not appear to be... I thought there was. Unless... The... Oh, maybe there's still NWA-TNA.com? There's nothing on Wayback Machine from TNAWrestling.com before 2005. So I, I can't see this broken clock for myself. So that's a shame. But uh, what 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 a week and what a pay per view! Mm-hmm. Yeah, Randy Savage not taking a bump and the Elix Skipper thing and and the Chris Daniels spot too on the same show. Yes, TNA everybody. Well, let's move on to Japan now. Land of the Rising Sun. We start all Japan Pro Wrestling. The Real World Tag League Tournament was probably the least interesting in its twenty-eight year history. And it's put future traditional big tournaments, both the Tag League and Champion Carnival, very much in jeopardy in 2005. To show just how little interest there was, the final round-robin event, which is a side who would go into the finals on November 29th in Osaka, drew only 1,300 fans. Aside from the Cork and Hall opener and one other show, all the cards on the tour drew poorly. All right, that Osaka show, we'll lead off with that. In front of 1,300 fans... Sokin Shibo Kamen went a three-way over Ebison and Mini Love Machine. Mini Love Machine Nobody was... Talk Ra- oh, shit. I don't remember. Nobutaka Araya and Nobutaka Araya over Takabishi Noku and Nosawa. Toshai Koan and Taichi Shikari over Keiji Muto and Kira Raijin. Bull Buchanan and D'Lo Brown over Tomoki Homa and Koei Suwama. The Love Machines was WDQ with Taioke and Jamal. Satoshi Kojima Kasayashi of a great Muta and Love Machine Steel. Yes, you. <laughs> it's easy to see here why why we got problems. Love Machine. Um, yeah, I'm let's see. Super it Love up Machine Harada. Super Love Machine Harada. Love yep. Machine Storm is Arashi. Uh, Love Machine Steel is Jungle Jim Steel. Mini Love Machine was Granamata. Makayla Machine number two was Chikuzen. Ryuta Chikuzen. Mini Love Machine two was Makoto, Makoto Oshii. And then the, the Great Muta was a member of the Love Machine. No, all caps well. Great Muta, Johnny Stamboli. Yeah. 
Yes, that's right. So, yeah, now you're seeing why all Japan's going to the toilet. This R-O-N-D stuff, and then this, and it's just, woof. And to further illustrate that, the 28th annual, and probably the one with the least interest in human history, version of Real World Tadley Tournament ended on December 1st in Hachinoe before 2,700 fans, with Jamal and Taiokea coming out on top. Kei and Jamal beat Tusha Kawada and Mitsuya Nagai in 1707 when Kei pinned Nagai after a Hawaiian Smasher in a playoff of the two teams which tied for first place in the B Block. Then they beat A Block champs and last year's winners, Tusha Kojima and Katsuyashi in 24-36 when Jamal pinned Hayashi after a Samoan drop. Rest of the results, Ichikara won a three-way over Nosawa and Akira Raijin. Tokyo and Jamal over Kawada Nagai. Love Machine Steel, a mini Love Machine over Nobutaka Raya, Nobukazu Harai, Taka, Bull, and D-Lo over Kensuke Saki, Katsuko Nakajima, and Tomoki Homa. All cast Great Muda and Love Machine. No, this is not no, this love is regular Machine. Great Muda. This is Mudo. No, or it's not. Because it? No, if he's teaming with Love Machines, yeah. But the results don't have it as all cast Great Muda. No, it's Dave. Uh, beat Mudo, Keiji Mudo, yeah. Osama oh, Shimura, and... Yeah. And in the real world tally finals, K and Jamal over Kojima and Hayashi to win the tournament. Yeah, it took me a second to remember which results format this was. So, so not, the real world tally tournament final was not even, I mean, not even the last day of the tour. That shows how far that's fallen. I mean, I'll say this. The idea of a tag league final, like looking back as a match I'd want to see, Taiokea and Umaga against Satoshi Kojima and Kaisayashi in 2004 sounds like a hell of a match. This is the era where I basically was starting to really quit watching a lot of this stuff. So I've I never mean, really seen too. this. Yeah. It's, uh, All Japan definitely was uh, off my radar at this point. Yeah. Uh, they did an angle on December 2nd in Fukushima to build up the uh, Mudo Great Muda match. They're in a six-man with Mudo, Araya, and Hama gets Muta, Love Machine Storm, and Love Machine Steel. Muta blew the green mist in Muto's eyes. Muto was taken to the dressing room. A few minutes later, lights went out, and Muto returned in his futuristic monster great Muto outfit. Oh, boy. Uh, the results of this show, Sonosawa went a three over Ebison and Common, Taka over Raijin, Bull and Dilo over Harai and Hayashi, Jamal and Kea over Kawada and Suwama, Muto and Araya and Hama over Muta and the Love Machines, and Super Love Machine, Mini Love Machine over Kojima and Shikari. And then we have the tour ender on Sumo Hall on December 5th, which drew a very disappointing crowd of 5,500 fans. Announces 8,800. With Koja Kawada being Hiroshi Tenzon at 32-21 when running field goal to the face kick, Kawada bled from headbutts. Kawada set the all-time Triple Crown title record with his ninth defense in a row. Dave's really surprised at this one. Just because there were so many more things that could have been done booking-wise by putting Tenzon over. The company was very disappointed because they drove home that their two recent successes were not because the company has started to regain popularity, but simply because a lot of Noah fans came over to see Mitsuharu Masawa. Worse, with Tenzon the main event, it also showed the New Japan fans won't follow Tenzon, which is a sign he's not a real drawing card. The match had been very good, but the crowd he was very disappointing. After the match, IWGP champion Kansas Sasaki came out to challenge Kawada for a title unification match, which has been announced for January 16th at Osaka Fritsu Gym. 
Dave's guessing Tenzan beats Sasaki on December 12th in Nagoya to win the IWGP title. So Sasaki ends up simply being as a, cha- as a challenger against Kawada when that bout takes place because the first ever IWGP Triple Crown Championship bout wouldn't be held in Osaka's Fritsu Gym. Of course, the original Muda beat the new Muda in their singles match at their Shining Wizard. That entire feud is being called a flop because Johnny Stamboli has done such a poor job as a new Muda. It's also now over. After the match, the Machine Army attacked the fake Muda, and the real Muda saved him and asked him to team with him. There is a thing called cutting your losses. Vader returned after long absence since 2000 from the group by pinning Koei Suwama after a choke slam and lariat. The big spot was Suwama using German suplex on Vader. People were in the Vader coming back pretty good, but he was slow and overweight and didn't look good. It was said people were warning it to be a good match since Vader's an old-time legend, and Japanese cut them a lot of slack, but it just wasn't happening. Hayashi retained the junior title, pinning Nosawa Rangai, his new name, in 1447 after the final cut. Nosawa worked in a match imitating Mudo's big moves like the Dragon Screw, Figure 4, and Shining Wizard. As with every Hayashi defense, it was good. After the match, Mini Love Machine, Hamada, came out to challenge Hayashi. Hayashi turned him down, saying instead he would be defending the title next on a K-Dojo show on January 10th in Cork and Hall against Takamichinoku. The hottest match on the show is a 10-person elimination match with the Sasaki family. Kensuke, Tenuginichiro, Kensuke Nakajima, Akira Hokuro, and Kenshin beating R.O.N.D. Taka, Taya, Kea, D.Lo, Jamal, and Bull Buchanan. Fans were into the entire match, in particular the mixed reactions were for everything Hokuto did, particularly when she tagged in. The eliminations were both by pinfall and by throwing someone over the top rope like a battle royal. Most eliminations were over the top rope. Buchanan, Tenru, Nakajima, D.Lo, Hokuto, and Jamal. It came down Sasaki versus Taka and Kea, and Sasaki pinned Taka to Larry and then pinned Kea to gain revenge for his loss to him a few months back after Northern Lights bomb. And full results, Humman and Shikari over Akira, all caps, and Akira Raijin. Love Machine Storm and Mini Love Machine and Love Machine Steel over Masafuchi, Nobuzaka Raya, Nobugatsu Arai. Hayashi over Nosawa, Vader Suwama, Soshikojima over Super Love Machine, Muda over Muda. And then the uh, elimination match, and then the triple crown match. Okay, remind me who Kensuke office member Kenjin is. He was a young one of the young boys, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, All Japan. Um, what was his fucking name? I am pulling up the. Oh, it's it's a Fujisawa. It's a Fujisawa. Yes, that's him. Okay, and he, he was DDT. He was DDT, a DDT guy who joined the office and changed his name. That's what it was. So is there anyone else besides the family, Tenru, and him that are part of Kensuke office at the time? I mean, basically that's it. And is Tenru actually being booked out of Kensuke office, or is he just teaming with them here? He's Tenru. He's, 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 he's a freelancer. But I, I'm curious, like, is he actually being He's a freelancer. I, he's a okay. freelancer, Biggs. That's all it is. And, uh, okay, for what it's worth, I just looked at Cage Match. This is Kenshin's only All Japan match. Yes. I'm trying to see. And his only other Kensuke office-related thing is appearing on their February 06 uh, Korokin show, where he's in a battle royal for 120,000 yen, won by uh, Minoru Suzuki. So yeah, all Japan's got way too much shit going. On. It was funny in this era watching the New Japan fans and Noah fans making fun of the All Japan fans. What few they were 
that was online. Remember Irving Bix? Vaguely. The guy that he started up his own version of uh, Stewart's New Japan website, but for all Japan? Yes. As, a, as like a spike to Stewart? <laughs> because, I mean, it was just so silly. But yeah, he would really pimp up all Japan and all that stuff, and it just was too much bullshit going on. But I remember, I do remember the Kawada Tenzon thing, and uh, I mean, this is when Tenzon's they're trying to, you know, he's trying to be pushed hard, New Japan and All Japan both for trying to push him, but it just, it just didn't click. Hmm. Speaking of New Japan. Antonio Noki returned to Japan on December 3rd and again talked about his idea for an MMA Battle Royal for the January 4th Tokyo Dome show. And he said he would come to the New Year's Eve Dynamite show, K1, to push the New Japan show, which would be returning to favor since he pushed the K1 show on the last New Japan Osaka Dome show. Anoki has some folks. Still running. Well, I forget. When is he out of the company? He's basically out now at that point. <laughs> okay. But still, I mean, he's, he's an Oki, so yeah. The company's talking about doing a date in Italy on June the 4th. They're going to build a show around Tiger Mask. Their rationale is that more than 20 years ago, when New Japan Wrestling was used on Italian television, the original Tiger Mask was one of the most popular athletes in the country. The big three in Italy at the time was Anoki, Fujinami, and the original Tiger Mask. And this happens they, in some They form. do run shows in Italy. Yeah, they do run shows in Italy. Yes. Well, they also end up with Tiger TV. Mask pushes the top guy. Yeah, Tiger Mask is pushes the top guy there. But like they did it the right so, way. Yeah. They got TV. Like I forget how well it drew or anything, but it it wasn't some pipe dream. This was a real thing. Oh, they actually, yeah, they had they had a, they had some stuff going on there. Yes, if I remember right, they at least did okay. I don't remember if they did gangbusters, but it. I don't remember them embarrassing themselves. I tell you a result that I found recently that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Did you know Anoki and Bad News had a match in Italy while Bad News was under WF contract? No. Yep. In late '88. Yep. Okay, so I just wait. Am I looking at? It was in Rome, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, wait. Tiger Mask. But it doesn't say, wait, Tiger Mask is, I'm trying to make sure I'm looking at the right Tiger Mask on Cage Match. Four. No, I know, but Tiger 53 Mask? years, God, someone who's 53 right now would be Tiger Mask 4, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, That's trained him. by the great Sasuke and Tiger Mask. Because it has his only names as Tiger Mask and Tiger, but it doesn't say Tiger Mask 4. On Cage Match, there wow. are no results for him ever wrestling in, or wait, let me make sure. Uh, Yeah, there are no results for him wrestling in Italy. At least on Cage Match. Maybe the results are missing, because I know those shows happened, and well, I'm pretty sure he did work them. They definitely happened. Definitely happened. I, re- I report on those shows back in the day. I definitely know they happened. Absolutely. I'm searching. Wait, is this? I'm trying to see if I can find the results anywhere, but whatever. All right. Yeah, but they do. they do run shows. All right, Jushin Liger suffered a pulled right calf and missed the weekend, but supposed to be back by the time you read this. When Liger out of action, Kasushi Takamura was forced back the team with Ghetto and Jado in a six-man December 5th show in Tokushima and stayed with CTU to replace Liger on house shows. However, Ghetto and Jado turned on him afterwards and uh, after Takamura got beaten in the trios where they faced Tiger Mask, Koji Kanemoto, and Taiji Shimori. 
So, yeah. Yeah, Takamura was turned uh, to the regular side of the the army, and then they had to turn him back just to do an angle to replace Liger. So, yeah. Also, I forgot well, that Ishimori that actually had like two different I am secretly trying to go to New Japan runs. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that Minoru this Tanaka- happened here. But... Yeah. Minoru Tanaka had his first child, a daughter born on December 3rd to wife Yumi Fukawa, who was a very pretty former All Japan women's wrestler. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, she was. I mean, she was, but that's sense. all we're calling her? I mean, granted, I don't <laughs> think Dave watched much Arcean. She was not pushed that heavily in All Japan women, but... But that's the... I mean, that was a reason for a lot of Minoru Tanaka backlash in Japan was because... He married her. I mean, uh, this, why, why is I mean, there backlash? He's prettier than her. Well, he's very pretty. There a lot he's, of, so is he. That, <laughs> there were a lot of fans that did not like the fact that they got married. Okay. I think both male and female for each for each one. If, I think if I think if Tanaka would have married somebody outside the business, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But it was her. So I mean, I'm guessing second, they became friends. Uh, when the RCN wrestlers went to the Battle Arts Dojo, right? Oh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. This makes the second New Japan All Japan couple to have a child, the first being Kensuke and Nakira Hokuto. All right, so back to Takamura. Samuel Shimura and Kasushi Takamura formed the team stemming from their November 30th show in Koryama where Gato and Jado turned on Takamura, so he'll be joining New Japan Babyface side. <laughs> yeah. All right, results from that show from 1,800 fans. We have Akia Anzawa over Yujiro. Hiroki Goto over Nafumi Yamamoto. And Toriano over Hiroshi Nagao and Yutaki Oshie. Tiger Mask, Taguchi, and Wataru Inoue over Gato, Jado, and Takamura. Liger and Tanaka over James Gibson and the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. And Davey Noble. Yeah. Hiroshi, Ta- yes. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shinsuke Nakamura over Toga Makabe and Masuki Naruse. Manaba Nakanishi and Mitsui Nagata over Yuji Nagata and Masuki Kakihara. Hiroji, and in our main event was Hiroshi Tenzan, Coach Kanemoto, and Takashi Izuka over Kensuke Saki, Minoru Suzuki, and Kasuko Nakajima. Then Okayama on the four in front of 2000. We have Hiroshi Nagao over Yujiro, Taguchi, over, Taguchi and Hiroki Goto over Takamasu Nanzawa. Tashitoshi Goto over Masuki Naruse over Yutaki Oshie no Samurai. Tenzan and Nakamura over Makabe and Yano. Tanahashi Nezuka over Nagai and Takamura. Scott Norton over BV. And then we have Coach Kanemoto, Taiji Shimura, Mataro Inoue, over Gato, Jado, and Minoru Tanaka. And then Nagato, Nagato, Nagata Nishimura over Masio Chono and Manabu Nakanishi. You know, I know that the momentum had started going bef- like before that, I guess. But you look at this and you really, you see how a lot of the pieces as far as the wrestlers were there for quite a while before business started booming. Um, it's just the fans... The fans were so, you know, despondent from Anokiism that it was hard for them to catch back up. They had to win trust back and make new fans and all that. I, th- But I think it also shows, because that's when things really got, you know, bustling even more. I think it does show the importance of Okada to a degree and how much kind of quickly doing this whole Kingmaker thing worked. And I think also Nakamura's gimmick change. 
Well, that's a key part of it. You know, because he had been the pushed guy there for a, quite a long time. But he goes on that trip to Mexico. He comes back as, you know, at the Nakamura we know now. And, you know, all like, and he's a different person. And, you know, I think injecting that bit of personality just, it, it's at the, it's also at that point, like, they really started emphasizing, like, individual person, like, bigger personalities for a lot of the wrestlers, too. Like, it all, a lot of things came together. Like, it, I don't want to sell Tanahashi short because he did help rebuild. But, like I said, it's like, it's interesting seeing how many of the pieces were already there. Yeah. They're strongly paper in the December 11 pay-per-view show in Osaka, as well as the December 12 show in Nagoya, which tells you the advances both shows are doing. And that was two of their strongholds. Yeah. So that tells you a story. All right, Pro Wrestling Noah. The major show of this tour and the last big show of the year was December 4th for Yokama Bunker Gym before selling 4,600 fans. As Kanakabashi pinned the Gladiator Mike Awesome in 28-21 with a moonsault for his 12th consecutive the title defense of the GAC heavyweight title. If you thought Undertaker and Triple H were scary trying to get long matches out of Heinrich and Steiner or Nash, can you imagine this? Dave was told the match was okay, it was a great spot, but it would have been a lot better if it went half the time. After the match, Minoru Suzuki, who Kobashi asked to sit ringside, came to the ring and challenged him. Apparently, they're going to headline the January 8th Budokan Hall show, which means the original plan for Kobashi defending against Masawa is being postponed. Perhaps waiting to see if, if it's viable to put the Tokyo Dome later this year for that match. Masawa and Yoshinara Ogawa beat Michael Manas and Donovan Morgan in 17-3 to retain the GAC tag titles when Ogawa pinned Manas after Masawa's big move, the Emerald Frozen. Yoshinobu Kanamaru pinned Takashi Segura, keep the junior title in 25-3. We'll have more on these matches when we see him. Takashi with the junior champ at the Funk 01, came to the ring and challenged Kanamaru, which may also take place at the next Budokan show. All right, results of this show was Makoto Hashi over Goshiyazaki. Takumasano and Tsua over Tomon Honda and Shoshikuchi. Scorpio and Ricky Marvin and Ace Steel over Mahamayone, Daisuke Ikeda, and Kishin Kawabata. Kenta Norimichi Marfuji and Takeshi Rikio defeated Akira Tawe, Kodoro Suzuki, and Richard Slinger. Akatoshi Saito Masao Inoue over Junakiyama and Juni Zamita. And Kanamaru over Sakura, Masao Nagawa over Madison Morgan, and Kabashi over The Gladiator. But the biggest news from the show was Tenu Ganichiro will be debuting on January 8th at Budokan Hall, which leads to a number of possibilities. Yoshio Takayama was there and said he would bring Tenru in. When Takayama is healthy, they're planning a Misawa Ogawa vs. Takayama Tenru match. And already pushing the idea of Misawa vs. Tenru and Kabashi vs. Tenru singles match for next year. Misawa only wrestled Tenru once in a singles match in the late 80s when Misawa was still doing a Tiger Mask gimmick. Tenru has never wrestled Kabashi. For January 8th, the plans for Misawa and a partner against Tenru and a partner. Masao pit one of the younger wrestlers' partners to do the job and be the recipient of a Tenru beating and return gets to be part of a heavily anticipated match. Oh, that was a big deal. That was a big deal when Tenru started doing Noah. Yeah. Because of how he left all Japan. F- right. 15 years, well, 14 years earlier. Right. And then he's been in all Japan and New Japan, like, for the most part recently, so he hasn't. He hasn't wrestled any of these guys as, like, main event guys. Like, if he's wrestled them, it's, you know, back in, like, 88, 89, 90. MSI was the only guy he wrestled. And that was one match. Yeah. He never wrestled Kobashi. He never wrestled Tawai in singles. Right, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, Takayama, of course, wasn't around. I mean, so. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say about what we've got here? Um, I'm drawing a blank about what I was about to say. Uh, oh, Mike Awesome. I don't think I ever saw this match, but like, or at least in its entirety, but like, you could tell whenever you saw him show up in this era, like, he was beat up bad. Like, I think it shows just how highly Kabashi thought of him that he even got booked in this scenario. Like, how much was he even wrestling at this point? Um, a little bit. Not much. You know, they had that great match in All Japan. What was it, 98, 99? Yes. But both were much different, physically. Yeah. Okay, I forgot. He had been in All Japan at this point and was working there pretty much exclusively. Going back into 03. Yeah, yeah, he, okay, he so, came after he left WWE. So I forgot, he had been something of a regular there. And then uh, he hadn't been there since May, though, and then he works this tour for Noah. Yeah. Eh, just a shame, everything that happened with him. Yeah. Dice Kate will be leaving the promotion as his contract expires at the end of the year, and he wants to be a free agent. He sees a right on the wall. <laughs> so. As far as what? Do you mean? It's just he's been there, and there, there, you know, new talent starting to get going. So I think he saw that he was probably going to be pushed more, even lower mid card, maybe even I don't know. I want to see him do the comedy matches, but the fact that he never got like really even like a junior heavyweight title challenger push. I think shows that yet like Masawa liked him or at least used him because Baba liked him, but clearly did not see that much in him. And, uh, yeah, he just, yeah, this is what leads to the beginning of a food time. That's right. Zero one max, the new zero one max. Because so many people hated the name on stage, it's not like a play, they're using Zero One Max Futuristic Fighting as the public name of the promotion. Now, if I remember right, what happened here is basically this is just Hashimoto has died, so they reorganized the company and decided to go with a newish name, right? Yeah, new ownership, yes. Yeah. Yeah, new ownership. And I forget, though, so, aren't these, didn't they go back to zero, just playing Zero One eventually? Nope, nope. It's still, zero, zero, are one still zero one max. I think so. I'm double checking because I, uh, uh, okay, wait, cage, okay, cage match has the thing with the different names. Okay, if we're considering effectively the same promotion. Okay, uh, okay, a one to o five. They are pro wrestling all caps z e r o dash o n e. 05 to 08, they are Pro Wrestling Z-E-R-O number one dash max, all caps. And from 2008 to today, they are Pro Wrestling all caps Z-E-R-O number one. So yeah, they did go back to being zero one, but not the same way. (laughs) Excuse me. And up there near Hoshikawa, who's been in Sapporo City Hospital since collapsing in an October 17th match with Tatsuzaki Iwa, but on a zero one show in the same city. Shinjiro Otani went to the hospital on December 1st, and reported Hoshikawa was able to grab his finger. He still can't speak. 
Hoshikawa suffered a near fatal brain injury, which led to a lengthy coma. When he was hit with a clothesline, Takahiwa expected him to duck. Hoshikawa was knocked silly earlier in the match, taking a powerbomb off the top of a steel cage. Okay. Um, and it's just reading Otani being the one to go to the hospital, you know, yeah. where all his stuff happened. Yeah. Uh, mm. Like, and on a zero one show? That he yeah, got both of them. Yeah. Um, so at the time, you know, I would occasionally get updates through intermediaries. I think you probably were too. For quite a while after this, things looked incredibly bleak. He was going through physical therapy and stuff, but for at least a while, like, he didn't recognize the people who were visiting him and stuff. It was bad, but eventually, and it, you know, not a lot of it necessarily got back here and reported in the Observer and stuff, but eventually he made, like, a, like not the point he could ever come close to wrestling again, but he made a pretty damn miraculous recovery, you know? Like, I think he walks with the walker now and stuff, but he can talk, you know, like, he knows who he is. He gives speeches at schools and stuff. Like, he he's living a real life, you know, fulfilling life, I should say, I guess, in a way that I don't think anyone could have expected, you know, certainly at this point, 19 years ago, right after he got hurt, and then maybe even, you know, what, a year after? Yeah. I mean... <sighs> He's he's every bit the miracle Bret Hart is, if not more. Well, he's lucky to be alive, and he's lucky that he wasn't a vegetable. Because that's basically close. what it was thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, you gotta, it was very hush-hush at first, too. Like, everyone yeah. assumed that this was, you know, everyone assumed the worst was what was happening. And <laughs> it was starting to look that way, and then it didn't. Yeah, yeah, good for him. That guy's a fighter. Although they were able to get the the Zero One Cable contract, they lost their occasional specials on TV Tokyo, which equivalent to a UPN level network deal. The last Zero One special, which aired on October 23rd and Saturday at 4 p.m. time slot, did a 3.6 rating, which for that station was considered a good number. They're apparently keeping most of the titles from the Zero One company this group sprang from. They started their first tour on December 4th in Yokoshiba and December 5th at Corken Hall with a tournament to revive the AWA World Heavyweight title. Oh, yes. <laughs> they they the they, first they, round. They, of six... they worked with Dale Gagner and... Yeah. Yeah. They had a 16-man tur- tournament on the first two nights in Yokoshiba. Shinsuke Z. Yamagasa and Fugu Fugu Yumeji. Yoshida Sasaki beat little Nate from UPW. Andrew Hellman from UPW, beat Ruji Sai, and Koisato opened Rikuya Fudo with the German suplex, a cork and before 1,000 fans, an afternoon show to avoid competing with K1 Knowledge Pan, Takao Mori pinned Jun Kasai, Masato Taka pinned Dakota Hadaka, Rotoro Sakata with Minoru Fujita, and the battle of the former tag partners of the old days, Shinjiro Tani beat Tatsuyu Takiiwa. Uh, that Korkin uh, show sounds uh, much better than the Yokoshiba show. 1,000 fans. Which which really shows you the degree to which uh, Hashimoto and Ogawa were the draws. Yes, basically. Which, I I forget, why isn't Ogawa here? Because Hashimoto's dead. But, like, is he, he's taking time off in grieving? Or he just, he didn't feel any need to wrestle if he wasn't with Hashimoto? I mean, that... Pretty much ended in a lot of the stuff he did. 
you know, as far as Zero One. I'm trying to remember what he does next and where. I mean, because he does Hustle, and Hustle is affiliated. He doesn't work Zero One ever again. Uh, oh, or he, he it's Hustle, it. Hustle, and Anoki Genome. That's the only only groups he works after this. Uh, he does work a little bit in New Japan. He works two, two festivals. He works two confestival. Oh no! Excuse me. A few, a few, a couple weeks before this. Still, yes. After Hashimoto's death. Oh, is that the Kawada match or a team of Kawada? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Okay. But yeah, hustle. So actually, yeah, was hustle in the mix with Zero One Max? Yeah, they they have overlapping talent. I'm looking at this. So. Yeah, but it's not Zero One. He just worked hustle. Yes. And then uh, after hustle, he just worked IGF, and that was it. Yeah. 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 All right, Dragon Gate, December 4th at Kyoto KBS Hall. We have Susumu Yokozuka, Kness, and Kenichiro Arai of Magna Tokyo, Dragon Kid, and Naoki Tanazaki. Second, Doi, 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 over Takagi. Mako Wasa and Daniel Mishima over Genki Horiguchi and Ryo Saito by disqualification. Super Shisa and Takuya Shigawara went to a no contest. Shima and Don Fuji over Masaki Bashizuki and Shingo Takagi. And then uh, Shunji Kondo, Torawashi, Brodayashi, and Takushigawara over Milano Collection AT, Yoshino, Anthony W. Mori, and Super Shisa in the main event. I forget, is Shogo any relation to Shingo? No. Okay, yeah, I looked, I was trying to remember what else I would know him from, it's and then I see Berlin and a boxer. boxer. Or... Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. All right, uh, Michinoku Pro, Kazuya Yawasa changed his rename to Gaina. On December 3rd, Michinoku Pro ran a show and advertised a new Japanese record for the youngest main eventers ever for a major promotion. I mean, Kasiko Nakajima, 16, faced debuting Fujita Jr. Hayato, who was 18, and approached you Jinsei Shinsaki. So you had Kensuke Saki in one corner and Kensuke Shinsaki, real name, in the other. Nagajima went with a boss and crab. Hayato went back to high school in the next Monday. And yes, this is the Hayato that's still around today. Yes. All right. Uh, Cork and Hall on the third. Rase and Maguro Oma over Musilago and Lambo Miura. Taiji Shimori over Kekatora. Jensei Shizaki and Shinjicho Nahashi over Kitsune Majiro and Garuda. Los Soceros Japoneses, one of my favorites. Takeshi Minamino, Panapahanai, and Mango Fakuda over Shanao and the Sado twins, Kei and Shu. Gaina over Goa, and then the, uh, Nakajima over Fujita in his debut match. Let's just be glad so Russo never heard of Gaina. <laughs> Imagine a Sado brothers if they came around today. They, they would have been, they've been working somewhere in America. They, they were pretty boys. Break Tumblr. <laughs> they were some pretty boys. All right, uh, Osaka Pro, they ran uh, Delphin Arena, Festival Gate on December 4th. Tiger's Mask over Shuichi Yuchida. Delphin won a three over Ebison and Beautiful Joe. Takira Murahama over Yutaka Fukuda. Daioquat and Black Buffalo over Billy King Kid and Kabuto Beetle. And Big Boss Magma and Goa over Kishiba Kamen and Pero. I forget. Was this based on the Beautiful Joe video game or was the video game based yes. on something else? Okay. It's based on the video game. We have one Joshi result for this week, Bix. A to Z. They ran in Shinkiba first ring in Tokyo on December 5th from a 225. We have Leon over Imitojo. Mima Shimoda over Bullfight Sora. Once, 
and then twice. And then Mikanishio over Bullfight Sora. Then Mikanishio and Mirai over Mishimono and Sachiabe. And in our main event, Yomiko Hota over Kana. Yes, Asuka. Hadn't she just started wrestling around this time? Yeah, she's fairly new in the game here. Absolutely. Because uh, when isn't when is her manifesto? Because she's like five years in when that happens, right? That uh, she, her she wrote that got her all that heat. Her debut was June sixteenth, and people forget she was trained by Yuki Shikawa. I did not remember that. Yes, and this is very late in A to Z, right? Right, because they did not last long. I think they closed in oh five, maybe oh six. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm trying to. I'm going to Cage to see if some if I remember who any of these people are. Okay. Oh, Leon is uh, Reina Takase. I knew that was a gimmick of someone I knew for another name. Um, hold on. And Bullfight Sora is. I don't recognize any of these other names. So. Yeah, the, the the women's scene is not doing great, and it's about to completely collapse. Well, let's go outside of Japan now. Riki Choshu ran a show in Marpi on the island of Saipan on December 4th, drawing 1,240 fans. And a $35,000 gate was well, mounted to a working vacation. Choshu has used the island for a vacation spot as well as for training seclusion for years. Promoter shows his 20th anniversary of his pro debut. I'd say more like 30. Maybe Dave uh, uh, had a mistake. I, I would think so. Yeah, because 20 years from 1984, I mean. <laughs> Unless it's the 20th anniversary of Ricky Pro. I don't know. Oh, that it's the, build, being built as like the 20th anniversary of Japan Pro Wrestling? Yeah. That's possible. Because he would have announced its formation right around that time, right? Yeah, it's possible. But but, 2004 was also 30 years in the business for him. Around that time, yeah. And a lot so, of Japanese anniversary knows? shows are not actually pegged to any actual, like, correct month or anything like that. Oh, no, no, no. Alright, uh, Bill, this Choshu Riki. The baseball stadium was hurt with it raining during the show. Choshu and Wrestling Observer Hall of Famer Tomohiro Ishii, who carried the match... And Noah's Masashi Oyagi won the main event over Tetsuya Kuroda, Bad Boy Hito, and Takashi Sasaki. Guitar Kanemura was supposed to headline the show, but wasn't there. Oh, gee, I wonder Dave who, who replaced him. <laughs> Dave thinks that they're doing an angle for Japan coming out of this to build for a Choshu Kanemura singles match on January 5th at Korokan, a show Choshu will promote independently. All right, the rest of the results here. Takashi Iwano over Daisuke Sakamoto. Asian Cougar over Miyawaki. King Adamo over Todd Shane. And if Todd Shane's here, Mike Shane beat Ichiro Yaguchi. Shiroko Shinaka over Hintaro. Choshu Ishii and Oyagi over Kuroda, Hito, and Sasaki. I have so many questions. Well, they go, I mean, that's the World Japan hookup with the Shanes. I, I don't remember you know, King, uh, King Adamo in World Japan. He wasn't. Was that Taro in World Japan? Uh, who probably worked once or twice. Okay. That's the um, way those things went. And Okay, so for the record, whatchamacallit, uh, World Japan's been closed for almost six months, or at least it's been almost six months since they ran their last show. So, yes. 
it was, it, it, we should stress, like, this was such a weird period, like, in Japanese wrestling that you had this weird glut of mid-level promotions. You know? You have your New Japan and Noah as kind of your big two, and then you have All Japan Zero One, Dragon Gate, World Japan at least trying. Am I forgetting anyone as far as, like, your mid-level? Or is that it? <sighs> There's a lot of promotions at this time in Japan. Well, then, right, you've also got, like, your FMW offshoots that would be considered above the indie level. So, like, you're, so, yeah, like, WMF and WW and all that. So, like, there's this weird middle class of promotions that had never really been a thing before. You know? And, yeah. you know, you still have your indies and stuff, and I get... I guess you could say that kind of paved the way for today, where, like, you would certainly say All Japan's bigger than an indie, and I think they're corporately owned now, too, but, like, there wasn't that tier before. And now that exists, and there are promotions that fit in there that are bigger than indies, but aren't necessarily major promotions. Yeah. Well... All right, let's go to let's go to a new place that I don't know if we've ever had before in between the sheets. Viva la France, yeah, the I ICWA. We have, we see, yeah, I see we have a few European items this week, and uh, I, I'm surprised to see yeah. Kenny Kendall or whoever promoting in France. But <laughs> it's the ICWA. Uh, they ran the Chalon Sur in Bourgogne, Francais. Where we had Phoenix over at Mr. Bombastic, or the Fantastic. And, yeah, it's uh, Mr. Bombastic, to be clear, not Bombastic. No, it's Mr. Bombastic. Shaggy. Yeah. Uh, Eric Schwartz over Morat Bosporus. An EWA World Heavyweight Tunnel match. Cannonball Grizzly. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. PN News defeated Chris the Baby Killer, Chris Robber. Then an ICWA ladies title match. Bullapunk over Riptide to win the title. We had a three-way for the ICWA Junior Heavyweight title. as X-Dream, beat Johnny Storm, and Sick. Then we had a PPWA Heavyweight title match as Joe E. Legend retained over Michael Kovac. ICWA Tag Title match as Bulk and Big Dave defeated Mont Van Kunder and Boss Van Kunder to win the titles. And a 30-minute Ironman match for the CZW Ironman title. Chris Hero retained over Doug Williams. You know... When we really start writing the Chris Hero story for the history books, one of his achievements that I think should not be overlooked, and maybe will be, he put the German and continental Europe indie scene on the map in that era, internationally. Him and going oh, yes. over there to help train guys, and then people seeing how good and you know how promising Claudio and Ares were. And then also other people who come, like Marat, you know, who would do little shots in the U.S. Like, nobody was paying, like, nobody, you know, elsewhere was paying attention to that German indie scene before he started going over there all the time. Yes. You know, and then, you know, it starts He definitely put it out there. Yeah. And, you know, it was more so, it was more so Germany and Austria and to an extent Switzerland. But here you see him in France, you know. And, you know, you know, facing Doug Williams on a show with, a, you know, a lot of German talent and, and, you know, German regulars from elsewhere. 
So, and actually, uh, Extreme was a WXW guy, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever saw him. Do you recall where Sick is from? I don't remember Sick. I remember the name. I don't recall where, I mean, where he's from. But yeah, now, you know, WXW, I mean, technically has a WWE deal, although it doesn't seem to really be much of anything anymore, aside from the shows going on the network and stuff without any fanfare. But, you know, like, credit to Felix, because has Felix been the promoter the whole time? Pretty much, yeah. And I know I'm getting on a tangent because we weren't actually talking about WXW, but still, it ties into the point I was making. That's got to be considered. Yeah, one you are getting on a tangent. Yeah, but that's got to be considered like one of the model indie promotions, like ever. So, it, it, I got off it from the hero thing, but let's move on. <laughs> yeah, we go to Ireland. Irish Whip Wrestling, December 2nd in Lucan, South Dublin at Sarsfield GAA Hall. We had Red Vinny over the Irish Dragon. Dave Zero over Bam Catraz. Joey Cabre over George McFly. Hello, McFly. Man Man Manson over Frankie Shamrock. Not uh, Brian Roche. Frank Shamrock. No. No, it's Frankie Shamrock. Brian Roche over Dave Zero. Mark Spirit over Vic Viper. And then Alex Shane retained the FWA British uh, title over Seamus O'Shaughnessy. That is right. That is Seamus. Okay. Against Alex Shane. These results, is this from a results file of yours, or did you get this from Wrestling Data? What? Wrestling Data. So that actually reminds me, and so, so like, the, the, that it spells Seamus with the WWE spelling here. That is what he went by in Europe, right? He did go by Seamus O'Shaughnessy with that spelling, right? Uh, think so, yes. So for all the people who used to joke about how WWE felt fans were too dumb to spell she- I mean, to pronounce Seamus spelled the traditional way, that's not it. He already spelled it that way. Yes. And outside of the main event, I do not recognize any names on this show. <laughs> And to close out, there's more and more talk of the wrestling channel running the financial problems and being late on paying a lot of companies for the footage. Uh, I'm trying to remember how much they longer they lasted. Wasn't extremely long. I'm checking because before they end up selling to the Fight Network. So let's see. Because, yeah, I got to go through the Fight Network UK article. Okay, so it. It launched in December. Okay, of oh, the trial run was December of three. So the standalone channel is March of four. Okay, so they haven't been even going a year yet. Uh, and then it gets sold to Fight Network in like late 06. and then keeps going through early oh eight under Fight's ownership. So they're able to figure things out somehow, but. Uh, I'm trying to remember how much we heard about the financial issues back then. Do you remember much about this? It no. It like it got straightened out. I mean, here's the thing, too. You know, and this was the thing you heard all the time back then. Barely anything other than World of Sport and maybe, like, Noah was doing any viewership. So, yeah. I think they had to make some choices. And didn't they also start adding more, like, overnight infomercials and stuff, too? Yes. So that that's probably an area that helped, but 
in the long run, it probably wasn't ever going to work because pretty much everything other than the World of Sport Classic show, if I remember right, was barely registering a rating. Yeah. You know, and they... Oh, at this point... Okay, this is important context as far as money troubles. It was October 25th, so weeks ago, that they added TWC Reloaded, which was mainly reruns from stuff on main TWC, but also had, like, some trial-y stuff. So, like, they're also adding a second channel. And, like, I, it, it doesn't sound like it's something that really would add into their expenses, but just, it's it's clearly in flux at this time. And, yeah. It's a shame it couldn't work out the way everyone wanted it to, but, like, at least, you know, because it was a free-to-air network, like, a lot of British fans got exposed to a lot of other wrestling, and we were able to get a heck of a lot of World of Sport footage that we didn't have previously. Yeah, that was a definite plus, seven. Yeah, like, it, to, like just to emphasize the scope before we close this segment out, um... It started with John Lister, like, handpicking themed shows. And eventually, once they exhausted that, they still continued for quite a long time just doing, like, full TV tapings and stuff. So, like, there's stuff that was already available, and there's stuff that wasn't in the archives anymore that wasn't on TWC or, like, the later shows on ESPN. But, I mean, the vast majority of what's out there is thanks to the rest of the channel. All right, well, this show is going long. Um, we recorded these shows in parts, of course. We Everybody knows that. So we're doing this transition here after uh, we recorded the whole show, and there's no way we can fit it all in one file, so we're breaking it up in two parts. So this is the end of part one, and part two will begin with uh, the Lucha segment. And then we'll transition from there to uh, Kevin joining us to uh, talk about the Indies and the massive WWE section. So, uh, yes, join us on part two, as uh, we have quite the show ahead. Believe me, folks, you don't want to miss Yes, and, well, you don't want to do a halftime because we've done way too much this week. (laughs) Yeah, and then all the stuff that's going on in wrestling this week, I really don't feel like... uh, going in depth about it but uh well cm punk's back folks so we'll Well, see what happens there yeah (laughs) maybe maybe next week and you know we'll have our uh new you know new and returning patrons catch up then and all all that next week he'll have he'll have another chance at uh being on tv and seeing what happens there because uh he was kind of rushed monday so to speak so we'll see what happens uh next week on on television if he's there so there you go. But anyway, this is part one, part two, another file. So uh, take a listen. Don't don't forget. 